Ultra. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep and boldly goes into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. My name <laughs> is Nick Jimenez. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are continuing our miniseries on the Star Trek franchise with the first sequel set in the Kelvin timeline. It's 2013's Star Trek Into Darkness. And no guest. Uh, we we couldn't convince anyone to join us on this yeah. one. It was uh, uh, it was important that this away team was as small as possible. Yes, yes. Um. So so Star Trek Into Darkness, a film that I have a lot of mixed feelings about, because I find I I find I find uh, three things to be true, and they all contradict each other. Mm-hmm. One, I think there's a lot of choices in this movie that I think are dumb <laughs> um, and, and and things that I don't like. Uh, two, I think that everything that ha- – if you take the movie on it absolutely on its own and just only think about what you're seeing from beginning to end, character arcs, things like that, the movie within itself – works perfectly fine. So it's it's like it's 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 a good movie from that perspective of like only focusing on what you're watching in the, you know, 2 hours and 15 minutes of the movie's runtime. And then three um I don't know, I forgot my third point. But <laughs> well, I lost lost my train of thought. But but it, my point is is like it's it's both a it's a fine movie on its own, but it's also, oh, that was my third point. My third point is just that, like, this is not what I wanted from a Star Trek sequel. That's my third point. So it's like, it, it's like, I don't like the decisions within it. The story works perfectly fine on its story, character arcs, everything works perfectly fine if you just take it as its own thing. But also, this is not remotely what I wanted from a sequel to Star Trek. So th- all of those things are true. As my fe- my very complicated feelings on this movie. What about you? I agree with a lot of that. Um, yeah. I also have a lot of mixed emotions. <clears throat> you know, a lot of mixed feelings with this movie uh, because it turned it, it turns ten this year, right? Um, you know, it came out in the summer of twenty thirteen, and I remember even at the time this was a very combative, divisive movie. If you were like a geek on social media in twenty thirteen. Yeah. Yeah, where it was like one of those movies that it was impossible not to have an opinion about. Not unlike Man of Steel, which came out that same summer. 
That's true. That's true. Um, this is but, rated a lot more favorably uh, by critics, according to Rotten Tomatoes, than than Man of oh, Steel. Really? But yes, yeah, no, this has like a this has like an eighty four percent or something like that. That's surprising, but yeah, and I guess that's an example of like you know living in a in a kind of a nerd bubble like we do, and I, we certainly were back in twenty thirteen, both of us, right? Because um, we were young, we were both like you know it. But I, I agree with you, especially watching it now for franchiseography. I spent the whole movie holding two truths in my hands of like, I'm having a pretty good time watching a lot of this. Yeah. Like, this is still like a fun ride. I agree with you. It is kind of, it's a very messy, uh, confused sequel to the movie Star Trek that I love a lot. Right. Um, and also, like, I love Trek a lot more and know Trek a lot more than I did back in 2013. And so watching it now, especially after watching all these movies of like, it's not unlike other Trek movies that have deviated from Gene Roddenberry's utopian vision of the future. But mm-hmm. there, that, there's just some really like crazy weird choices that are happening in this movie that I'm like, oh, well, I, I get why some people like really get angry like thinking about this movie. Like, right. Um, but it's interesting. I, 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 I had this thought late in the movie, but I want to ask you this now, Scott. Um, you know, a lot of people that really don't like this movie, mm-hmm. uh, don't like it because it was like JJ Abrams. He JJ Abrams, ified star Trek. Sure. He didn't honor, you know, it's not thoughtful. It's just loud and yeah. Special effects and, and, the you know, um, lens flare and all that. Right. Sure. Of course. And I was, I was thinking this when you know, Spock was like dead running, sprinting after Khan in a crowded city, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, that's kind of what people. That's like the inverse of the criticism that people give a lot of Marvel movies, of like, hey, don't de-, like they they don't let directors deviate from the formula and they put their spin and personality on the thing. Mm-hmm. But this is arguably an example of that happening. And to fans, at least, it turns out not general audiences. This is like the worst Star Trek movie by far. Yeah, uh, yeah, but to some people, uh, yeah, but I, I, I think that I think that there's a there's a difference between those two things. I mean, one, those are two different fan sets wanting two different things. Mm, good um, point. And yeah. I would argue that the people who complain the loudest about Marvel movies aren't actually fans of those movies. So. <laughs> They just want a different thing entirely. They want it to not be that anymore, which yeah. is, There's, yeah, the people who yeah. insist on still going to them, even though they like don't like them. Right, right, because um, they have to be part of the conversation. Um, <laughs> so that that's that's a whole other that's a whole other can of worms. Um, for sure, I think that's we've a good point. we've we've either talked about this here or I oh, talked yeah, about this sure recently. I think on one of these shows, but like the idea of like people being like, you just can't make fans happy, and like you do this and they don't like it, and you do this and they don't like it. It's like, yeah, but those are those are two different halves of the same fandom. Mm. One likes one thing and one likes the other, but from your perspective, it's quote unquote fans not being able to make up their mind. But no, like they are making up their mind. It's just two different swaths of the same fandom mm-hmm. that you can only make you know, part of them happy because all you can do is make what you find interesting. Anyway. Yeah. It's like, it's like just hearing the noise and the rabble and not understanding that, that, that rabble is made up of individual, right. Very strong opinions that are people. Right. 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 Absolutely. Um, but in terms of like 
the difference I would say, even taking all of that out of the equation, I think the difference between what you're saying about what people are, are criticizing about Marvel versus what they're criticizing here is that what they're criticizing about Marvel is like, uh, yeah, uh, a structure being very similar story structure and the look of the movies being very similar, both of which are largely superficial things. Um, not like they're not saying like it would be, it would be better if Spider-Man just killed people. I mean, sure. Some people are saying that I'm sure there are those people. I'd be really cool if he just wore the black costume all the time and just cracked people's necks. That would be the best Spider-Man ever. Um, I'm sure there's, 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 there's dudes that are like that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I just wish every, every time I wish. Yeah. yeah. But largely speaking, right. Um, uh, that is not what, those people are asking. They're not asking for a philosophical change in the Marvel movies. They're just actually acting for like, yeah, maybe some surprises, maybe something a little different than what we normally get. But with this, the, what, what, what Abrams and company do, cause I don't mm-hmm. want to throw all the blame at Abrams. Cause as we'll go into, he had very little to do with the development of this movie. I can't um, wait to hear about that. Yeah. But, but, uh, uh, you know, Abrams and company did with this, is really kind of like snub their nose at like fundamental Star Trek things. Yes. Um, like starting your movie off with uh, the decision to violate the prime directive. That is a fundamental Star Trek thing that you do not do. That is, And they're like, well, why don't we just do it? Right. Like that it makes it special. Like it's the one time they did it. And it's like, yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> no <Yeah. laughs> and it's yeah we'll get to it but and it's all it's done so glibly yes and- right and that's that's the other problem and now granted it is the start of an entire character arc involving both kirk and spock over mm-hmm. the course of the movie so again if you just look at the structure of the movie yes, itself without its taking in any outside influence the structure of the story that they're telling is sound it's mm-hmm. all there. The character arcs of Kirk violating the prime directive to save his friend is then completely flipped and reversed by the end of the movie when when Spock, you know, uh, does what he does to save Kirk. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's all there within the structure of the movie. That's the thing. That's the problem. The biggest problem with this movie is there's not really that much wrong with it. It's it's all it's all just like I don't want this. Like, I don't want this to be a Star Trek movie. You know, like, I don't I don't want this story. Uh, you know that like it's all just stuff like I, I find it distasteful. Which taste is uh, is is not an objective thing. Right. And so the fact that I find the movie distasteful is not a criticism of the movie. It's not a valid criticism of the movie because. The movie is what it is, and you just sort of accept. And as as a thing, it's like, yeah, there's actually nothing wrong with this movie, except for the fact that I don't like it that much. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, D- distasteful is a good word. I think distasteful is something that we'll come back to a few times today. Yes. Um, yes. A thought that I had a few times watching this, I kept thinking is, oh, God, you know, the math checks out. Mm-hmm. Like. From a screenwriting perspective, from a storytelling brain trust perspective, like, yeah, the math checks out. I'm just not emotionally invested in any of this at all. No. And and because I think that was the kind of the secret sauce of 09 Star Trek. I was thinking about this today. I was thinking about the first one while watching after watching Into Darkness. 
um, the crew in 09 Star Trek has this kind of connective arc. Because, you know, Kirk and Spock are definitely the protagonists and they have their own stuff going on. But the crew each have this arc of like, I just want to prove myself. Yes. Like Sulu, Chekhov, Bones, each has like a moment where like that's all they want to do. They're just this young whip smart like kid that just I just want to show them how good I am. And the because, audience yes. because what is the stated theme of the first Star Trek? Right. Yeah. Pike's Pike's uh, Pike's dare. Exactly. Pike's dare of your father saved you know the entire crew of a, of a starship from mm-hmm. after being captain for five minutes. I dare you to do better. Right. That is the statement. And that leads to everything what you're talking about as it's like it is that is Kirk's story, but it's also everyone else's arc. And so mm-hmm. like they have they all have the similar arc of like we just want to prove that we are worthy of doing this. Right. Yes. I am going to read to you verbatim a quote mm-hmm. from Kurtzman and Orsi in which they state what the theme of Into Darkness is. Great. The theme of Into Darkness is how far will we go to exact revenge and justice on an enemy that scares us? How far should we go from our values? The enemy's blood is within us. We are the enemy. We must not succumb to it. We are the same. What wow. the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> that's not a theme. That's just a bunch of shit. Like you're just you're just saying a but you're like it, it feels like they they like yeah, like they, they it's obvious to me that they really struggled with the script, right? Mm. If that's your theme, you guys failed. That's a failure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like that's like that's a, not a theme. That's just a bunch of stuff. <laughs> that's like a manifesto. That's like a, <laughs> it's a, a manifesto. Yes, it's not a theme, it's a manifesto. What the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> and I can see flashes of that statement in the movie. Like yeah. what what they're trying to do with Khan's crew and Kirk's crew. Yeah. And but it's just so wobbled and I, you know we'll get into the plot like specific moments where i think they fail themselves um, yeah but yeah that's so messy compared oh, to it's like extremely messy there's absolutely nothing clean about that and the fact that they were all like yep we nailed it is insane completely insane to me yeah and and like it reminds me a lot of like that documentary about frozen 2 on disney plus that mm-hmm. I reference a lot because you're kind of watching, you get to watch really talented filmmakers struggle with a story mm-hmm. and knowing that arguably they kind of don't pull it off with frozen two. It kind of makes it even more fascinating for me to watch because, and like you can watch them kind of get, cause that's also messy compared to its original. Yeah. True. Very true. Where it's like, you, they never really, it's about going you being the person calling to you, you're the person, you know, and it's like that. Where if you can't yeah. just say it definitively with your feet on the ground, right? It's maybe not a good sign early on. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um. So this the story of all of this begins with Star Trek wrapping post production in December of 2008. Remember, okay. there was a there was like a five month gap of like we finished it it's done it's in the can and we're just waiting to release it yeah um in that period of time paramount was so happy with the movie that they signed on the whole team in march of 2009 so like two months before the release of star trek Mm -hmm. and 
the whole team signed on as a team of producers and the writing team of of Kurtzman and Orsi. Um, Lindelof had not, it was like still doing the producer role at this point. And Abrams was a producer. He had not signed on as director. Um, and the idea was that, okay, we're going to sign you in March of 2009. You're going to complete the script by the end of 2009. And we're going to have a summer 2011 release date. Um, that's the plan. And Abrams was like, okay, cool. If that's the plan, I'm not going to direct the next one. I want to go direct this other movie called Super 8, my love letter to Steven Spielberg. So he, so Paramount's like, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, blank check, man. You, you, did, you did Star Trek. Go do whatever you want. And so he goes and he makes Super 8. So at that point, as of the release of this movie and press being done, uh, the release of Star Trek 09 and, and press being done, Abrams had nothing to do with any development process with this movie because he was entirely focused on Super 8, right? So not going to be talking about Abrams a lot for, for a little while. So they were supposed to have a script done by, by 2009, by, uh, by the end of 2009. By 2010, um, there was no script. And, uh, but they, they decided like, okay, so there's no script, which means we're not going to be able to hit that 2011 deadline. So instead we're going to go for, uh, 2012. So they set the release date for June 29th, 2012. Um, Paramount sets that release date. And at this point, Orsi and Kurtzman had created a script that was not one script, but two scripts. And it was going to be a two-parter. And it was going to be a cliffhanger. And it was an original villain. And it was like the start of the war with the Klingons. And it was all this crazy stuff. And they show it to Paramount. And Paramount's like, what the fuck is this? This is not what we asked for. We asked for a sequel to that Star Trek movie. And you gave us two movies, which we did not want. Um, and did not agree to, uh, and we're not paying you for. <laughs> um, and <laughs> oh, so shit, yeah. they're just like, you guys are in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Linda, we're, we're, we're bringing Lindelof in and he's going to write this with you. You're going to start off from square one. It's, they're like, it's 20, and please. this is, this is 2010. So, cool. so this yeah. is, they set the release date and they're like, how's the script coming? Holy shit, what have you done? <laughs> yeah, you just blew all this time writing two scripts we don't want, and now you have to start yeah. over, and the movie's yes. coming out in a year, like yes. two years. Yeah. Um, and we don't have a director attached. So Lindelof joins the writing team, um, and, uh, and, and also there was no villain. That was, that was the main issue that Paramount had. There is no villain. It was it's, literally just a story about the start of the war with the Klingons, and then part two was going to be the war with the Klingons. Like that's wow. There was no there was no main antagonist. It was all vibes. Like it was all like just general sort of like war vibes, right? Wow. Like there was there was definitely like you know Klingon characters, mm-hmm. you know like Klingon generals and shit, but like there wasn't a. There wasn't a main villain. And what Paramount came back to them with after reading this is like, there's no villain. There's nothing for us to hook into. I don't even know how we market this, which would become ironic later. But I don't know how we market this. 
We need a villain. We want the Joker. I we mm. want the Dark Knight. That's what we want. Find us the Joker. Make us the Dark Knight. That's what we want this to be. Get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> so 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 they square one this shit. Uh, Lindelof joins the writing team at this point. Officially, because he's all done with Lost, so he's got a lot of free time on his hands, and uh, and yeah, and so they start working on this with the with the I the the you know the modus operandi of like this is Star Trek versus the Joker. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. So they're like, who's the Joker? And they played around with a few ideas. Um, at one point, they they were thinking about Harry Mudd. Um, as a as a villain, but they were like, no, because I think their their thought process initially was the Joker is like a manic, crazy villain. Right. So they, yep. they went down a couple of roads of like manic, crazy villains in Star Trek lore. So that's like Harry Mudd. That's your Q collective. Right. So they were going down those roads, but nothing was like coming back and being like, oh, yeah, this makes sense for the next story in this crew. Um, and eventually they were like, okay, well, let's forget about like the Jokerfication of a villain and instead look at how what the Joker represents to Batman. And right. that is that he's like his Moriarty. And they're like, okay, so who's Kirk's Moriarty? Khan. Done. So they're like, okay, so we're going to do Khan. And Lindelof said, Lindelof, I feel like after the release of this and Prometheus, somewhat back to back. Yeah. Um, and then, and then Tomorrowland, I think back to back to back. It was like one; each one was a year apart. I think, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, I think Lindelof got a lot more humble. I think the success of Lost really went to his head, and there was a nice period of change there where he would just say shit that I, that you're like, "What are you talking about? Like that doesn't make any sense." He was um, a real canary in the coal mine in terms of writers choosing to have like an active, like social media presence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there, was, like, there was there was a point where I'm trying to find the quote um, that I'm specifically talking about, but uh, uh, it was it was basically he was basically saying like we uh, oh let's here it is um, he he says. Uh, uh, Khan has such an intense gravity in the Trek universe, we likely would have expanded more energy not putting him in the movie rather than the other way around. And I'm like, what? What what does that mean? What do you mean? Like, just don't put him in the movie. Like, I... Yeah. You're the writer. What energy? What are you talking about? (laughs) There's... Okay, two things. Because, yeah, yeah, there are two, two stories in all of Star Trek featuring Khan. Yep, like that's not comparable to like the Joker and his weight and the way he's affected Batman no. as a character, you know? No. Second thing, that is almost verbatim. That is like a, a, a AI rewrite of J.J. Abrams's PR reasons for bringing Palpatine back and, and Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. He's like, why is everyone so surprised? It would have been weird if Palpatine wasn't in a jar this whole time. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or yeah, yeah. Um, there is a lot of Rise of Skywalker in this movie. 
a mm-hmm. lot of Rise of Skywalker, and it's begin. It, it's making me realize that uh, Abrams is really good at making one movie in a franchise, but never another one. Here, um, I, I realize this today. He has directed. He has directed six movies. Yeah, and they are straight down the middle. Three bangers, three mixed bags. Yep, that's true. You got, you got Star Trek: Force Awakens and MI three. Yep, bangers. Yep, and then you got. If I'm, you know, charitable, Super 8, Rise of Skywalker, and this are mixed bags. Because I think there's right. cool stuff in all three of those movies. I agree. I agree. And 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 Super 8, I would say, is the best of those three. Um, I need to watch it again. I haven't seen it since theaters. And I remember really liking it. But yeah. then, you know, just hearing, you know, I haven't watched it since, like, kind of hearing all the like, reasons why people don't like it. And I sure, just w- sure. would wonder if it would hold up. Yeah. I have... Yeah, I got it on on 4K, and I haven't popped it in yet. I need to do that. Um, in any event, uh, so so they they settle on on Khan, and they're uh-huh. like, okay, well, we don't want to just adapt Wrath of Khan and Space Seed because we're at different points in time and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so we need to figure out a new way of doing it. And the new way of doing it was just to adapt both of them at the same time. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they, it's just, it's constant quotes from all three of them of being like, yeah, we had to tell a new story with Khan, a story that hadn't been told before. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you changed the little details, but like, broadly speaking, you adapted Space Seed and then immediately adapted Wrath of Khan within the same story. Yeah. Like, like even, that, that's what you did. <laughs> even choosing to, like, repeat the iconography or ironically mirror it in a, like, like winking, not like winking, but at least like acknowledging way. Like, they make Spock yell out Khan. Yeah. 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 Um so uh yeah, there's a there's a really uh funny line where let me see if I can find that quote. Um of Let's see. It's just such a shame, I guess, because like for my as a moviegoer, if you would like if you would like if a representative at Paramount had been outside of my movie theater when me and my nerdy group of friends like walked out into the lobby and they're like, hey, what do you think of Star Trek? What do you want from Star Trek 2? We probably would have just said, we want that crew to go on another cool mission yeah, where they have like a problem and they all have to work together and solve it. Yeah. And like have some cool space battles and cool planets and stuff. Like, yeah. I don't know if any of us were like, oh, Khan. I, I get that he's like the most iconic but you know that's so that's so, that's such a shame. I don't think it really, really underserves this cast. Certainly, yeah. Um, I can't find the quote, but I I, I know at one point, um, like like Orsi literally talks about it was either Orsi or Lindelof talk about how like we tried to figure out a way to give people like to to like not just give people give trekkies like the stuff that they want because they would think it was cool like even though no even though they would think it was cool and it's like but you you guys just took the move stuff from the movies that you liked and 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 then just put them in the movie like wholesale like yeah like yeah it's crazy nicholas meyer saw the movie and oh um, wow yeah nicholas meyer saw the movie and uh and and said um 
Let me see if I can find his quote. Um, there's a lot of, there's a large criticism section. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, where is, ah, here we go. Um, let's see. He says, in my sort of artistic worldview, if you're going to do an homage, you have to add something. You have to put another layer on it. And they didn't. Just by putting the same words in different characters' mouths didn't add up to anything. And if you have someone dying in one scene, sort of being resurrected immediately after, there's no real drama going on. It just becomes a gimmick or gimmicky. And that's what I found it to be, ultimately. Brutal. Brutal. But he's such, honest he's, and true. <laughs> he's such an intelligent guy. Yeah. That's that's one thing I really picked up from 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 my chunk of the research is he's just a very learned, like he just known he just really understands like drama. Yeah. And I don't know. But that, that's a bummer. I mean that that couldn't have been fun for Abrams and company to hear, you know. <clears throat> oh but, yeah, I'm sure. Well, I I not that, you know, I don't know how much Abrams would have cared, but I'm sure that really made Lindelof and Orsi all kinds of sad. Um, but anyway, um, uh, so January, 2011, there is still no script. And without a script, there is no Abrams. Abrams is basically, they're like asking him, Hey, are you directing the next star Trek? And he's like, I don't know. Haven't seen a script. Don't know anything about it. <laughs> don't even know what they're cooking it, cooking up in that lab. Like, you know, just, <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, nope. not, yeah, I have no idea. Let's talk about Super 8. Stop asking me about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, yeah, finally the script is delivered in March of, of 2011. The release date has changed from June 2012 to December of 2012 because at this point Paramount sees that they have a shot at getting Abrams to come back as director. And so... Like what happens with literally every movie that Abrams seems to sign on to nowadays, it gets pushed back six months and then gets pushed back another six months. Um, Uh, It's like it's literally starting with this movie, like every movie he signs on to has a release date and then gets pushed back six months and then another six months. It's like every single time. It's so crazy. Um, He's got a he's got an issue with hitting release dates, scheduled release dates. To be um, fair, but this is almost worth pointing out just because it's crazy. By his next two movies, yeah, you mean Star Wars: Force Awakens and Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker? Yes, like <laughs> that's that's crazy. Yeah, so insane. Um, so anyway, uh, the he he finally Abram signs on in September of 2011. Um, I, 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 coincidentally enough, the 10th anniversary of nine 11, <laughs> <What>? um, <laughs> um, <laughs> more on that later. Yes. Um, and, uh, they had a really difficult casting process. And when I say difficult casting process, I'm not talking about any other character except for Khan. Um, <laughs> they wanted Benicio del Toro because they felt so there, there was a, there was an issue with Khan as a character. Mm-hmm. Khan, very famously played by Ricardo Montalban, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a Latin actor, an actor of Latin descent, um, playing a South Asian character, a character of South Asian descent. Khan is meant to be like Indian, Pakistani, that area. Mm-hmm. So right away, you're between a rock and a hard place because Ricardo yep. Montalban... 
um, is meant to be playing a South Asian character. He is not South Asian. Um, and honestly, if you're looking at the two appearances of, of Khan, he seems very South Asian in Space Seed. By the time you get to Wrath of Khan, he's kind of just Ricardo Montalban. So now suddenly Khan takes on this Latin flavor to the character that wasn't there in Space Seed, but you can't take the Ricardo Montalban out of Ricardo Montalban, right? So you 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 suddenly change Khan into a Latin character. Now, in terms of that, that's already a dicey place to be in because it's like, mm. well, which direction do we take this? Do we go with a South Asian actor or do we go with okay, a Latin, so Latin actor yeah. or, or, or what do we do here? So their, their thought process was, well, I don't think anyone remembers that Khan is supposed to be South Asian. Like, most people don't remember that. Most people just remember Ricardo Montalban. We should be going after a Latin actor. Everyone was on board with this, except for Robert Orsi. Robert Orsi wanted a white guy. And the reason he wanted a white guy... For a second, I was like, oh, wow. Oh, okay, of course. No, he wanted a white guy. And the reason that he wanted a white guy, which I cannot argue against, I make sense to me, but it's also his fault. The movie is about terrorism. Khan is a terrorist. I don't want a person of color playing this character. Sure. But granted, it's his fucking fault that it's, it's a movie fault. about terrorism. It's his yes. fault. Khan, by definition, is not a terrorist. You don't have to tell a story about terrorism with Khan, and then you could put anybody in that role. But because you chose to make it about terrorism, <laughs> now suddenly you're like, we have to cast a white guy. So anyway, <laughs> I agree with all that. I, that's yeah, that's like. Yeah, like we'll, yeah, that's borderline. Uh, we'll figure out whose fault this is, or like, yeah. we, um, but as a Latin actor, yes, I I think it's worth noting that a, a a fair amount of criticism for this movie is that they whitewashed Khan, yes, and that Khan should have been played by, and then they list whatever Latin actors that they like, yeah, and it is absolutely valid and worth noting that if I haven't seen Space Seed in a while, but if Khan is canonically uh, South Asian, as his name suggests, then mm-hmm. in my opinion, yeah, Khan is South Asian, and like, I don't know, like, I, I, I it's, it's a, it's a, an annoyance of mine that people are like, I don't know if this is like white knighting, but just kind of like, hey, Khan's Latin, man. It's like, no, he's not. You're just like wanting to yell at Star Trek, right? Like, do your research before, like, being combative and aggressive about that stuff because it's like. Right. You know, kind of that that irks me. Yes. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, now the other part that's going to irk you. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. so the choice was made. We're going to go after, regardless of what Roberto Orsi says, we're going to go after a Latin actor. And mm-hmm. Paramount is like, great. So here's the thing about this: we want <laughs> a movie star in this yeah. role, somebody we can market uh, market the whole movie on. So that means you only have one choice of Latin actor because there is only one marketable Latin actor working right now. Antonio Banderas. Nope. Benicio Del Toro. Oh. That's it. Benicio Del Toro. That's the only one. Because what about Javier Bardem? 
I don't think he was at this point. Not yet. I don't any more than like, what, what was what was Benicio Toro the Benicio del Toro's highest grossing movie in 2013. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe they did go out to him and he just like dismissed it out of hand. Like I don't know. That's um, right. But I, I guess it's like why? How did they land on him? I don't. I I assume because he's a Star Trek fan. Oh okay. I assume oh, cool. that's the life. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. But in any event, they go to Benicio del Toro and he's like, no fucking way am I playing con. It's not happening. <laughs> yeah. No way. I'm no gonna... way am I playing con and certainly not con as a terrorist. I'm not doing this. So he does not sign on. And now at that point, Paramount's like, well, we're out of w- w- options. We're going white, baby. And they tried bringing them lots of Latin actors. They turned all of them down because they're like, they're not marketable. We're not doing it. Um, and so the casting process went down to the wire wow. and it wasn't until um, uh, Roberto Orsi, who was a big fan of Sherlock, brought yes. up Benedict Cumberbatch that they finally started go like, you know, Paramount was like, oh, OK, yeah, like the next big star. That's great. Great idea. Mm-hmm. So they're they OK Benedict Cumberbatch. They go out to him. They meet with him. They bring him on board. He finally signs on to the movie eight days before filming begins. Wow. Eight days. Yes. Um, real quick, I wanna I had thought, I wonder if Diego Luna and Gail Garcia Bernal auditioned for Khan, and I wonder if they filmed each other's auditions. <laughs> I hope so. Like, but, uh, my, other, yeah. my my guess is that um, Paramount wouldn't even let people audition because they wouldn't want to let out who the character was. And right, yeah, yeah. But like, <laughs> I, I, my, and, and they were like, "There's no the chance Paramount. we're casting yeah. these people, so it doesn't matter." <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's crazy because he has a he, he's got quite a lot of um, you know, he's got several monologues, and you know, he also had to be he does a lot of action in this movie too. I wonder, like. You know he's he's in pretty good physical shape in this. Yeah, well, I I I think it's I think he's an actor and he's just in pretty good physical shape. But right. I don't I don't he's, think I, I he's always wearing that big coat in Sherlock. That's that's what right. And and my understanding too is that like yes, he did like he he did like work out a lot, but it was like during the shoot and a lot of the action stuff was pushed to the end of the shoot uh, okay. so that. He could like show off the physique he built over the course of filming. Sure, um, man. Benedict Cumberbatch on a treadmill is a fearsome image. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch lifting weights is a fearsome image. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> there's that makes. There's a moment uh, where he's delivering his big monologue in his little his little case, his little prison, and mm-hmm. I was like, man, he is really acting the shit out of this kind of like boring like rote dialogue mm-hmm. and i don't know that that that, I, that checks now that i'm like oh yeah he really had so little time to prepare he's really just like okay these are my lines i'm just gonna do it you know <laughs> um so the uh the title of the movie which is a very controversial uh point of contention for mm. many people um the title of the movie star trek into darkness um, comes from Lindelof's hatred of colons and titles. Okay. <laughs> yep. He said that colons represent everything that non-Star Trek fans hate about Star Trek. What does that mean? There is no explanation. He was like, not to say that, you know, Star Trek First Contact isn't like a good title, um, but 
you know, the colon, it, 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 it feels, I oh, think he okay. just thinks it feels I, like dusty and, and, and inaccessible. You know, inaccessible yeah you know what i almost feel like that made more sense in 2012 or 2013 whenever that quote was because in a post like marvel world where like yeah everyone watched avengers endgame and is about to watch ant-man and the wasp colon quantum mania right. it's like what are you talking about but i'm maybe maybe that you know that seemed more inaccessible back then I don't think so, though. I think okay. it was just something that I think it's just <laughs> something that that, that was like said. a pet peeve of Lindelof's was, okay, was yeah. you know, uh, coloned titles. I, I think he just didn't like them. I kind of isn't uh, wasn't Feige at first like against numbers where he was like, ah, yes. numbers seem cheap to me. Like, let's give it a yes. whole title. Yeah. Something. Right. Yeah. He also. Yeah. He definitely feels that way because we haven't seen we haven't seen a number on a title since Iron Man three. Yep. I think you're right. Yeah, that was the last time. It'll be interesting um, if Deadpool is just Deadpool three. Oh, true. Interesting. Didn't even like, think. Of, well, I've heard. Isn't it going to be called like Deadpool and Wolverine, or Wolverine or De- and but Deadpool or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's printing money, so I don't know why they wouldn't. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So, uh, but the title itself of of Star Trek Into Darkness, um, mm-hmm. actually comes from that original two part story. Which oh. was meant to be, I, I saved this. Okay, great. was a was a um a, a a loose adaptation of Heart of Darkness, in which, right, right, we're going back to Heart of Darkness, just like Insurrection, in which, uh, the admiral who was like behind it all, um, was going to not make an appearance until the very like end of the second movie, like. It was going to be like this big reveal that everything that we've went through and all of this war with the Klingons, it was all because of you, this one guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's like Brad Pitt. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. It's huge. Um, But yeah. So so uh, that's where it came from was just like, oh, we were going to do Heart of Darkness. Let's do Star Trek into darkness. It it just it turns Trek into a verb. And I think that was just jostling for a lot of people. I hate it. Yeah. I really I, I hate this title and I hate Star Trek Beyond as a title. I really do not like either title a lot. Would you, I hate would I, you, I really do not like them. <laughs> would you be better would you be more okay with Star Trek colon beyond? Yes. Okay. Cool, I agree. I, I, I would be I would be better. I still don't think it's a great title, especially considering the plot of that movie, as we'll talk about next week, I'm just like, I don't know what this this is meaningless. This means nothing. Mm-hmm. But I also think that this uh, this title ultimately means nothing it does Um, for sure um well it only makes sense it's you know it's kind of like putting a a really hanging a hat on this movie's manifesto from the beginning which is like the dark knight Mm -hmm. this is firmly in the like post dark knight era where like this and skyfall even the like the avengers to a certain extent with like loki getting captured where like everyone was still kind of chasing that dark knight energy we don't have to solve this right now, but I think a fun challenge for both of us, Scott, for the next two episodes. Can we think of a better title? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I I don't think I think regardless, I think it's not going to be a title that I'm going to like because I don't like the movie the, the story. The, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's like any any appropriate title isn't going to feel 
good, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Let's let's try and figure that out. Um, I okay. So, but speaking of which, because yes. one of the problems is they couldn't put Khan in the title because they refused to reveal that John Harrison was Khan, and this caused a huge problem with the marketing because what marketing was forced to do was market a film starring generic bad guy and uh just a new movie with the Star Trek crew there was zero hook nothing there was nothing to hook audiences and the movie paid for that pretty dearly at the box office as a result um it was not a flop by any stretch, but it made like a little more than half of what the original made, um, which is not great, right? And uh, and and the largest issue with that is like, yeah, you had a villain like Khan in your movie, and instead of just telling people that that's what the movie was about, you decided to spend a year lying through your teeth, lying to everyone about it being about him being in the movie. Everyone knew that Khan was in this movie. Everyone. It was everywhere. Everyone was like, this is definitely he's definitely playing Khan. And the he's only John reason Harrison. That, yeah. Yeah. The only reason that I was like iffy on it was because um I was like, well, he's a white guy. Why would they cast a white guy as Khan? <laughs> But, but, uh, uh, I, but you know, when it happened, I was like, oh, okay, he is playing con. All right, fine. I wonder um, if, if listeners are even, cause it kind of goes without saying for us, cause we were like around then, but like, he's almost grown out of it now. JJ Abrams mystery box style of storytelling. No, cause he fucking did it. He just did it again in his last movie with, with, with Ray being a Palpatine. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, he just did it again. But, like, in a world where, like, if, if Star Trek Into Darkness had been, like, beloved, there's a chance that they wouldn't have even given up that Palpatine was back. I guess yeah. this kind of, like, this ethos, because he, he even did a TED Talk about it, of the mystery box, the idea that, right. like, oh, we're not surprised enough anymore. That was also a line used a lot in the PR. Yes. Of, like, but but the but the issue with that cuz i think what this all comes down to ultimately is little jj abrams going to see empire strikes back and having his mind fucking blown apart right mm-hmm. and wanting to give that experience to his audiences to the people yeah. going to see his movies he wants them to feel like he felt when he saw empire strikes back it's yeah but the thing about the reveal in empire strikes back is is that it is a I, I cannot emphasize this enough. Now, to call it a third act reveal feels like I'm underselling it. It li- is a reveal that happens in like the last 10 minutes of that movie, right? Mm-hmm. And it is it is a reveal that explains a character's motivation, uh, multiple characters' motivations over the course of the movie, right? Two in particular, right? you know, uh, uh, Obi-Wan's ghost and then Darth Vader himself. It All it does is explain their motivation for why is Obi-Wan pushing Luke so hard and why is Darth Vader so determined to find this guy, right? That's it. That's all it does. It is not a twist, right? It is a reveal and it is a simple reveal that has ramifications for the next movie. But like, that's, that's it. Or so, I'd argue that it's like a big 
emotional reveal in the last 10 minutes of your movie. Totally. Yes. Like, yes. To get like, whoa, can you believe it's not like the central conflict of the entire film? No, it doesn't fit his stupid fucking mystery box narrative. And that mystery box narrative, it's never made any sense. And it's caused him to create more failures than successes because no one knows how to market it because he won't let them market it. Right. Like Super 8, this. Yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. Like, how are we? Because, yeah, I mean, I remember walking into a movie theater that whole year and every poster was just like debris and Khan with his back to the camera and then like Chris Pine's big old head and Zachary Quinto's big old head. Yeah. And yeah, like, and who I, knows? It's interesting to know what, what like Khan would have done to like the consciousness, you know, if that had been. Well, and all he's doing is um, uh, creating. I, I, I don't even know. He's not even creating expectations. He's creating like a non expectation. Which is a problem because now people aren't, yeah, people aren't go, are people are going in without pre like preconceived expectations. Fine, but they're not going in with any understanding of what they're about to watch, and that's the problem. So, like, right. like for example, right, if the trailers for Rise of Skywalker showed the scene where Rey shoots out lightning out of her fingers and blows up a ship. Mm-hmm. Suddenly people understand like, oh, that must be what the hook of the movie is. Like, that's what this movie is, is her dealing with like, why do I have like dark right. side powers? Oh, is yeah. Gonna what is that bad? Is she going to turn? Is this going to happen? Oh, my God. Right. Go see- yeah. Yeah. That's it's a more interesting marketing strategy than having absolutely no idea what that third movie is going to be about. Yeah. And the marketing campaign for Rise of Skywalker, if we're. It was, it's the, it's the end of the Skywalker saga. What the hell is that? That's what you've been watching the whole time. It was the Skywalker saga and it's ending. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, like, and yeah, like I never thought about that of the hook being like the drama of Ray's turning. And that's actually pretty exciting. Oh, especially considering the end of the last Jedi, which is all about her being like, no, I don't want to be all one thing. Or all the other. I want to be somewhere in the middle. And now you're making a third a, a third movie where she's shooting lightning out of her fingers and it's like, oh, what does that mean? And you're like, this is what it means when you're not all middle. one thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like, oh no, what happens if she when she goes too close to the dark side, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like a hundred percent. And that's such a more interesting marketing hook. And it would be the same deal here. Is like like you like if you had the the shot of like of 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 this movie. I mean, I think you'd have to restructure the movie so it isn't such a fucking stupid mystery that he's Khan. But because sure. like none yeah. of them know who the fuck Khan is. The only person you're hiding it from is the audience. That's so mm-hmm. dumb. I hate things that are structured that way. It's a but cousin. Like, please, please. If you had, if you had in the trailer the bit where he was like, "You should have let kept let me sleep," right? Mm-hmm. That's a fucking cool. Like that's a cool thing to put in your trailer. That line. Yeah. Of like, you know, you, you, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, oh man, he's like really, really menacing. They woke him up too early and now he's a terrorist. That's crazy. You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, they woke up Khan. They found Khan. Yeah. That's oh, so that, much more interesting and as a hook. from Sherlock. Yeah. Yeah. It's the guy from <laughs> Sherlock. Yeah. I, it, it feels, it reminds me a lot of the, uh, the Benioff and Weiss. Did I say those names right? The Game of Thrones yeah. fellas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
of kind of like, oh no, they're figuring out our narrative online. Quick, light the story on fire and burn it. <laughs> they, they'll say a lot of things, but they won't say they saw it coming. And that's so stupid. Like, yeah, uh, like sure. that, like, okay, so there's smart people out there who can see where a story is going. That doesn't mean you blow the story up. Yeah, so they'll be like, yeah, I saw it coming, wasn't satisfied. Who cares? It's like five people. Shut the fuck up. Like, yeah, don't, don't yeah. listen to those people. Like, it feels so you know? ego. Well, it goes back to the ego where it's like, oh, it's yeah. more important to you to be, to outsmart the audience than to like tell a good story and yeah. like, entertain us which kind of feels like the more ryan johnson-y school of like or or jordan peele of like no i'm not trying to outsmart you i want to i want you to have a good time but like right. i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna string you i'm gonna reward you for figuring it out and you know like right right and that's yeah. that's how that's that's how that's good writing that's the difference between good writing and 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 yeah ego driven writing you know yeah um, and it's but this was such a this movie is such a product of its of its time it is it is. It, it's definitely in a clunky era for blockbusters, um, right smack dab in the middle, because this is like phase two of Marvel, which is arguably the weakest phase of all of Marvel, um, where they just didn't know what they were doing. Um, you know, like, it like, was like, OK, Thor the Dark World or like, yeah, Age of Ultron. Like, how, how, how are we doing this? Yeah. Um, and it was it was very like, OK, we know what we're building to with the first phase. Then we get to the second phase and they're like, what are we building to? Are we building toward Ultron or is that just another movie? Yeah. How are we going to do this Infinity War thing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> are we are we building toward that? Because then, like, should that be the next? You know, it just it was it was very messy because they were we all they were just trying to figure point? out how it was even supposed to work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, blockbusters were were like in this weird transitional phase um, at this point where we hadn't quite reached like the next section. I I'd say the next section of of uh, blockbusters kind of began around like began around 2014, but sort of solidified. I would say with like Captain America: Civil War was sort of like oh yeah, where it was like oh okay, like and then now blockbusters look like this and feel like this. And then, like, Endgame now, it's so weird because it is literally, like, 2019, the end of the decade. But mm -hmm. it feels like this nice, clean, like, we did it. We pulled it yeah. off. It worked. And now in 2023, we're in this new kind of period of renewal of, like, what are we doing now? What's what's yeah. what, what's next? What do we like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so last thing to talk about is the fallout of this movie. Star um, Trek Fallout. What do you think? That's pretty good. Cool. <laughs> Great. I actually like that. That's pretty good. Um, but the fallout of this film uh, being that, okay, so so this movie comes out in 2013. Mm. That same summer, I don't know who the author of it was because I couldn't find it, the article itself on archive.org because the website doesn't exist anymore. Alrighty. But someone wrote an article. It might have been Devin Faraci. I don't know. But someone wrote an article on Badass Digest um, that was basically, <laughs> uh, it was titled, How Star Trek Into Darkness is a Crypto-Truther Conspiracy Movie. Um, Co-writer Bob Orsi is a huge conspiracy theorist. 
on his now deleted Twitter, he calls rational people coincidence theorists. He fancies himself some sort of free thinker. Um, yeah, this article comes right. out and it absolutely kind of destroys Robert R- Roberto Orsi's credibility um, and and his relationships with his co-writers, with his relationship with J.J. Abrams, his relationship with uh, Lindelof and most importantly, his relationship with Alex Kurtzman. Um, they never wrote again together after this. Wow. Uh, they have a they 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 created Sleepy Hollow together, um, the premiere of which happened in 2013. Uh, so that had probably that work had already happened. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, whoever wrote this article, I'm betting it's Farachi, uh, wrote this article and absolutely wrecked this guy's career forever. Um, now, granted. If you remember, and I'm sure I'm going to talk about this next week, but like Orsi was the original director for for Star Trek three for a while. Yeah. Um, but that all came to an end as soon as this article came out. Um, it, it just absolutely wrecked his career forever. And I think he does continue to work here and there, but it's it's nothing like it was at, when he was at the top of his game. Um, and to blame it entirely on the article, the article is just pointing out something that he was very public about. Yeah. But the aspect of it that he was not public about was how much of his conspiracy theory feelings and beliefs he wrote into Star Trek Into Darkness um, without the knowledge of Kurtzman and Lindelof, who just thought they were writing a movie about about terrorism, um, not that they were actually writing a movie about how 9-11 is actually an inside job. Well, you know, I had the thought watching it this time because I don't think I was aware of a lot of that mm-hmm. watching it in 2013. I'm not clear on how yeah. many times I've seen this movie. I think this may have been my third time, fourth yeah. time. Who knows? I think that's about right for me, too. And so now what we know in 2023 is that sometimes a lot of the narratives that these QAnon people fringe belief like, you know, what I think whenever I watch like a video about it or kind of learn about it is, wow, that sounds like the plot of a crummy action movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like on this day, we're going to rise up and like the White House is th- this guy secretly an inside agent and he's going to come up from out of the ground with a machine gun. And so, <laughs> you know, the plot of this movie with 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 Marcus and like the Starfleet's moral rot, it kind of has this like Tom Clancy 90s action movie vibe to it and so those two it's it is similar like how i don't know how how those two venn diagram things kind of because we were in such a different place in 2013 as a country yeah and this movie is such a kind of an uncomfortable reminder of where we were headed right which is crazy but um but yeah the the whole concept you know it is a very thinly veiled um uh, metaphor or or analogy or or, or uh, whatever um, of the truth or beliefs in terms of what they think happened, which is that um, you know the terrorists that caused nine eleven were like hired or paid by or whatever by government officials in America to start the war on terrorism and the war in the Middle East or jumpstart the war in the Middle East to 
you know, build more weapons and make rich, rich weapon dealers more money and, and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, and start that whole engine of Bruin and keep Republicans in power because Republicans thrive during a war. That's literally what the movie is. Like, that is yeah. the, that is what the movie no. is about. There, there's so, yeah. even a private security, like, force in the movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he did all of this without the knowledge of, of Lindelof and Kurtzman because they're not conspiracy theorists. They're not truthers. So they didn't understand what he was doing. They were just like, oh, yeah, I could see how that would work in this story that we're telling. Mm-hmm. Um, and once this article came out and they both read it, thinking they were going to be like, oh, whatever, you don't know. And then were like horrified at what they were reading. And uh, yeah, just completely destroyed Orsi's relationships and career. It's um, I don't know. It, it, I don't know if kids would even be aware of like the, 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 the streak that those two were on throughout the 2000s. Yeah. Of like it was huge. Tra- Transformers, Eagle Eye. Um, fringe. Are they fringe? Was that yeah, them? fringe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Fringe and, and several other things, I think, as well. Um, a lot of rewrite gigs, too. They were like script doctors. Yes. Um, yeah. A lot of, lot of rewrite gigs. Uh, like, I'm almost on, certain on that this movies is... they're not credited on. What's that? I was going to say, I'm pretty sure we've talked about them before on uh, the one episode of the show. I just can't think of which one. Sure, sure. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, ultimately, this is a... a uh, movie about turning star trek into a 9-11 truthers conspiracy theory recreation um and it is deeply uncomfortable to watch once you realize that that's what this is that being said though Mm -hmm. um i was like i certainly didn't i i am now more informed than i was back when i was watching the movie a couple hours ago Uh uh-huh but like I wasn't, it wasn't on the forefront of my mind watching it. It was mostly during sure. the Mark, the Marcus stuff. Where sure, I was like, oh, I can see this now. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's where it all connects, right? It's like right. you get, yeah. you get the terrorist act at the beginning, which is you know the nine eleven, and then the reveal of like where all of that is leading toward, and the reason for the conspiracy and. Everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it is all like a retrospective thing where it's like you might not realize you might pick up on the 9-11 imagery. Right. Or 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 whatever oh, in that yeah. opening scene. But yeah, that's, but that's so like yeah. there was lots of movies that did that. Right. Cloverfield did that. Man you know? of Steel. So, yeah. Man of Steel did that. Yeah. Totally. Same summer. I um Yeah. And I but I guess having having gotten to now gone through all of Star Trek for franchiseography, it's. It's certainly not the first movie to attempt to like, you know, the call is coming from inside Starfleet. Right. That's true. That's true. Um, And that's probably why Lindelof, Lindelof had no issues with it. And again, from Kurtzman's perspective, this is just a movie that's like doing what it's supposed to be doing. Like, this is the story we're telling and it's and it's all working correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, And and and, you know, and then to Orsi, he was trying to prove a point of like, see, (laughs) It could really happen like this. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Any, uh, any any last bits of, uh, of context we want to get into before starting the recap? Um, no, I don't think so. I think that's I think that's about it. It's just. It's a I, I find this, this I find it 
I find the movie uh, largely entertaining. Um, I love these characters as we'll go along. There's lots of scenes in this that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there is a shot in this movie that is directed by Edgar Wright. Um, oh, do you know what shot? He he directed Second Unit during um, the uh, the scene where they meet with the Klingons to find Khan. Um, oh, and cool. so there's a shot in that scene that is directed by Edgar Wright. I don't think it's ever become public knowledge which one it is, though. Um, um, Bill Hader is the voice of the big scary ship. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, I caught him this time. Another Edgar Wright reference because he was the voice of Scott Pilgrim. Continue. Yeah. I have an anecdote that I, I wanted to share real quick. Um, yeah, and it kind of it kind of bleeds into the the, the recap. So uh, this movie came out when I was in college. May remember the last episode. I really really loved Star Trek 09. So mm-hmm. I was hyped. This was like mm-hmm. the movie that was going to kick off my summer. Mm-hmm. I was like, let's go. I brought my group of friends. We went to like the nicest screen in our theater. It was like XD or whatever. And as the lights dimmed and the Paramount logo came up. And Michael Giacchino's old familiar score vibrated around the auditorium. One of the lenses, one of the lenses in my glasses just like, like popped off. Oh no. Hit the ground. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I'm like fishing on the ground of the theater for my lens. And for the whole movie, I had to watch it holding up my second lens. Like I had a monocle. And wow. I was like, why now? Why God? I've been looking forward to this movie for four years. Um, I I saw this at the uh, the Thursday sneak preview. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working at a comic shop, and uh, the owner um, wanted to go see the movie with me. So oh. I saw this with the owner of the comic shop I worked at, and we just we watched it together. Was it was it? Did it have awkward? I'm with my boss energy, or was it chill? Yes. No, okay. very much awkward run with my boss energy. Yeah. Ah, oh, damn. Um, so not not the most enjoyable experience to go see this movie. But um yeah, it was uh it was I you know, I, I enjoyed it. I saw it at the I I think in, in um in IMAX uh at the theater in Fort Wayne and uh yeah, had a had a had a great time at the movies. Um mm-hmm. or you know, and then Things happened <laughs> afterward. Sure. Yeah. Certain aspects came to light. Yes. So if we, we brought up Raiders of the Lost Ark quite a few times last week. Right. And if you didn't think that J.J. Abrams was influenced by Raiders of the Lost Ark by the last Star Trek movie, you certainly would by the cold opening of this one. Yep. Yep. Straight up. Yeah. And they said that in the marketing that this is like a, a this se- sequence was a love letter to. Raiders of the Lost Ark. For sure. Which I was like, maybe you should be doing uh, Love Letters to Star Trek. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say. Oh, you mean Raiders of the Lost Ark? The movie that came out like the year before Con? Like, yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. And and yeah. So, you know, we get this, you know, it's uh, there's a volcano that's going to erupt. Spock has taken it upon. The crew has taken it upon themselves collectively that we're going to you know, activate a hydrogen bomb in this volcano and stop it from erupting and save this like class three planet. Mm 
like primitive mm. uh native the people of this planet that are just kind of still like you know throwing sp- it's coded in a way that's weird but that so is indiana jones uh <laughs> and <laughs> so but then where it goes like even more haywire is they think that they're gonna have to leave spock behind to detonate the bomb and spock's like i'm down i'm 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 a vulcan like i accept it Mm -hmm. uh needs of the many but then kirk's like no we're not doing that you're my special boy my good time guy my first officer and they uh well first scott what do you think of the imagery of the enterprise being underwater uh it's interesting apparently that the the enterprise rising out of the water was the starting point for this sequence like that's what that's the image they wanted to hit and then they built the entire sequence around that image yeah, I mean, it's like, that's solid, because it's a very Bond move. Mm-hmm. It's never happened before. Mm-hmm. I'm always down with, like, putting the Enterprise in imagery and stuff that it hasn't hasn't happened yet. Um, So, yeah, that that, that part's cool. But what, 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 what do you think of the sequence as a whole? Like, the cold open. Uh, it, like, it is, it feels to me like they are... I guess the the part of it that I don't really understand is what they're doing out there because they haven't started their five year mission, so I don't know yeah. what they're I don't know what they're doing. Like I, I I don't know if this is just some random mission that Starfleet gave to them, um, yeah. uh, to go execute. But like I don't know what they've been doing for the past four years. Yeah. So you know. Okay. So real quick, they you know they they do save Spock and Spock's like you violated the Prime Directive, and. Bones and Bones and Kirk are like this guy, yeah, violated the put a nerd, and yeah, <laughs> like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's like no, that's that's kind of a big deal, man. Yeah, it's a really big deal, and something that like Kirk and and Bones wouldn't do, um, or you know certainly wouldn't do lightly, because uh, yeah, they are very sort of like glib about it, mm-hmm. um in a way that doesn't really make any sense. Like it's literally the prime directive. It's called the prime directive. Like nothing else is more important than that. Um, and they're being glib about it. Yeah. It's pretty unlikely that you go through all of Starfleet without that meaning something to you resonating with you a little bit. Right. And that, and then, (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, so so yeah, so okay. I I actually I have like I have a lot of problems with this opening sequence. And the thing is, okay, please. if you squint and you just let it wash over you, you're like, oh yeah, what a fun sequence. But like, I don't I don't love that they're attempting to like do an homage to like Star Trek missions and like you know Star Trek the original series. But like, it doesn't feel right, or it feels like almost like it's trying too hard to hit that vibe that tone and i don't think it ever quite really gets there because it's not really understanding what it is about star trek the original series missions that are like that people do like so much about them um and it's not about them like violating the prime directive every week um but also like what are they doing like why are they on the surface like what what is kirk and what are kirk and bones doing why are they in disguises why are they on the surface at all why do why they have they their interact- holy scroll yeah why are they interacting with the species why are they stealing a holy scroll like why any of these things like like you and they've so- already at this point yes they have not revealed that you know they have a starship capable of 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 you know space travel or or whatever but like 
they they are like revealing themselves to the species as obviously an alien species. They're stealing an artifact from them. Like, and, and they're only doing that because Abrams and company want a Raiders of the Lost Ark riff. Yeah. That's and the only reason they're doing it. So no, for sure. Yeah. I, and that, yeah. but the riff is like, a you know, an alien species that's coded as like the natives that would be chasing Indiana Jones and Raiders. Right. Like throwing spears at them. Right. And, and, you know, uh, having watched a lot of lower decks and seeing this for the first time, mm-hmm. like lower decks is really good at throwaway start of the episode missions that still feel like Star Trek. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, oh, we stopped a rebellion or like th- on this planet, you know, people are either like day people or night people and we help them learn to see each other's differences, you know? Like well, honestly, I think if not the showrunner, then one of the writers of Lower Decks should be the person to like tackle the script for the next Kelvin Star Trek movie. Oh, absolutely. They would knock it out of the park because it's <clears throat> it's exactly the balance of like comedy and drama that you would want in one of these Kelvin movies, right? A little more heavily on the drama, but I'm sure they're all good writers and are capable of that. But yeah, yeah, like that that tone to be able to like have fun, but also like do dramatic things when necessary is exactly what those writers are really good at. Yeah, and like even beyond does this move better in the next movie yeah. of Agreed. like what what's a standard <laughs> by the numbers Star Trek adventure? Yeah. And, and this isn't it. And no, it's not. It's really not. And to go to your point, the next scene is uh, Kirk and Bones back in San Francisco at Starfleet headquarters. And Kirk's like, oh, you ready, Bones? Uh, Pike's calling me up to his office and he's not going to read me out for violating the prime directive. He's going to send us on the deep space five year mission and we're going to be the first to do it. And I think that is kind of low key. One of the movie's biggest mistakes. Huge. Yes. Huge. introducing the conceit of like wait that hasn't happened yet because the, the, the idea like, like like i'm sorry but if you want them to unravel a conspiracy then they should be on the outskirts of yeah, Starfleet that's a good point experiencing things from the outskirts on their five-year mission and putting clues together of mm-hmm. like wait if this means this and this is happening over here. Wait, why is this happening way out here? Why is there a cloning factory on this planet that no one's ever heard of? You know, yeah. like that kind of thing. Um, like, and it, it, and we're, I'm bringing it up now, but like, you know, the final scene of this, it, it kind of is a big mistake that a lot of the Daniel Craig Bond movies make, in my opinion, where yeah. they keep ending the same way, which is, and the adventure begins. Yep, 100%. And that's how this movie ends. And that's exactly how Star Trek 09 ended. And it it puts beyond, you know, it's kind of like, no, like, we just want the adventure. Why why do they always have to start at the adventure begins? Right, right. Totally. Um, one thing that you did skip over is between the cold open and the five-year mission discussion. Oh, right. Yes. The terrorist attack in yes. which the terrorist in question is not a terrorist, but is manipulated into an act of terrorism to save his daughter. Yes. In London. Which, yeah. Yeah. A, 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 a guy, a Starfleet officer, his, his, we're seeing, it's all silent. We're seeing that his daughter's very sick and he'll do anything to like make her healthy. And then Khan is like, 
I can help and gives yeah. him like the means to blow up the the Kelvin Memorial Center. Right. Right. Um yeah. So, you know, this is just the start of many red flags um that that mm-hmm. Orsi puts in here, which is basically that like you know, it's not the terrorist's fault. <laughs> There was a larger, there's a larger thing at play. Yeah, there's um, a big that, scary that, man in a, in a cool leather trench coat. Yeah, that, that you didn't know about. Um, so take that, America. Um, <laughs> anyway. Right, yeah. Uh, uh, so we get a, a, a scene between Kirk and Spock and uh, Chris, or, or Bruce Greenwood, playing returning as Admiral Pike, mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, idiots. Uh, so, so, so the, what Kirk doesn't know is like Spock completely told the truth in his report and told Pike everything because yeah. he assumed Kirk was going to do the same thing. Yeah. So from Kirk's perspective, it seems like Spock just like ratted him out. Right. This, this scene is really well done. Yes. Um, I love this scene a lot because it makes me feel deeply uncomfortable because I have been in so many situations exactly <laughs> like this where I was going into a situation thinking I was getting a promotion and in fact I was getting fired um you know like 100% I have been in this exact situation and all of Kirk's feelings of just like wait 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 what what I thought I was I thought I was getting <laughs> commended I what what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think most of, I mean, and Pine and Pine and Quinto and Greenwood are so good in this, and yeah. a lot of the Kirk and Spock scenes in this really still ring true to me. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the kind of like I, I can see where I just I can see both of them so clearly in this scene of how Spock is confused, the why Kirk is mad, and right, Kirk completely doesn't understand why Spock wasn't capable of like fudging a report or like lying right um and then but then it quickly turns into uh then when spock leaves it becomes a uh, a pike kirk scene right where it's kind of like a rebuke of the scene from the first movie where it's like you're you're you suck man like i stuck my neck out for you which which i like the scene Mm. but as a totality of of kirk's arc i don't like that we took two steps forward with the last movie, and now we're taking a step back. Um, For sure, I, I I had those same thoughts because I mean I was like, okay, I really ran the first movie back in my head, mm-hmm. and I'm like, was that a movie about him learning to be humble? Like, when in the first movie would he have learned the lessons that he's learning in this one? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think you can learn those lessons without him, without them taking away his role of captain. And also, he's a first officer for 30 seconds. Like, he's a first officer, his captain dies, he becomes captain. All over the course of a two-minute scene. Well, and even before that, he yeah. is fired. Right. Where uh, Pike's like, you know, you're an asshole, you're an egotistical, you don't respect the chair. I've always liked that line. Yeah. And then... He's like fired for 30 seconds and then Pike visits him in a bar and he's like, ah, you're first officer. You're my son. I love you. So that's weird. Yeah, They don't really let and then he dies and he comes back to life. Right. So like it's just like 
you know, everything that they take away from Kirk, they give him right back immediately. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, well, what the fuck was the point of any of that? Like, now now you're telling me there are no ramifications for him uh, uh, messing up or, or uh, breaking the prime directive, you know? Um. Yeah, no, I, I, I will say in that moment, I do like the little physical comedy of he's about to hit on a lady and then Pike sits in the stool between them. Yeah, uh, that's good. The good fight moment. Like, they're good. They have such great chemistry. And yeah, they are. As much as I as much as like everything like, oh, yeah, it's so like it is weak narratively. But like the Pine's face when he realizes that, oh, my God, this guy is kind of like my father figure and he will always be there for me. And yeah. I have someone that supports me unabashedly. Yeah. Like it, it's a cool moment for now. An- I yeah. can't find the quote because um, I can't find exactly like where I. I found it, but there was a, there was a quote I read um, from Abrams talking about uh, the production of this movie and directing it, Mm -hmm. um, which is that the thing that he hooked into were individual scenes, but he didn't really understand or care about the larger story. And, and so he was like, so he was like, I was floundering in terms of like the grand scheme of the movie. I think the movie is like entertaining enough but like <laughs> I wouldn't call it a failure, but I also don't think that it's like an unmitigated success like the first film. Yeah. But he said like on day to day directing the movie, he was like, I just tried to make ev- bring everything I could to each individual scene mm-hmm. without much thought to the whole picture. Um, Dude, that's which he was like, oh, is not, please. which is not a, a situation that a director should be in. Um, yeah. And Yeah. Like that's all over the movie, movie is riddled with 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 examples of that. Yeah, both visual and drama. Like, yeah. there's so many scenes of the movie where I'm like, "Wow, oh, it's a really cool shot." What the what the fuck was that shot for? Right? Yes. <laughs> what? Did, uh, but and speaking of stuff that we like, because you know we'll we'll be positive while we can. Uh, they are all called up. Something happened. So there was that horrible bombing, that attack uh, explosion in that Starfleet facility. Kirk and Pike are called up to this big fancy meeting where everyone important is in one room at the same time. And uh, Kirk runs into Spock and I love their little, like their attempt of like, well, I guess this is goodbye. Hey, I'm going to miss you, man. And Spock like looks sad, but then doesn't say anything. And Kirk waits for him to say something. And he's like, fuck, forget it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, All right. Fuck you. Um, (laughs) I I, I just that is that is my second favorite uh, uh, Spock moment. Um, Mm -hmm. My favorite Spock moment in the whole movie is uh, when he and Uhura are having their like rift and Kirk is like, is this going to be a problem? Both of you on this mission? And she's like, nope, absolutely not. And storms off. And he and Spock looks at her and looks at Kirk and he goes unclear. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's so good. Oh man, he's great in this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and so that's great. And then we uh, we get RoboCop, mm-hmm. Frank Welker. Yeah, who is uh, pretty good in this movie, and and he's just such a commanding uh, presence. He is. He is. Um, I I just find 
Yeah, I, I, I think he's good for this. I think he's good for this role. I think he's good at, like, you know, at playing that commanding presence and also, like, that sort of... Um, that that you know he's got that that like grimy uh, militaristic uh internal logic you know yeah 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 like this is where distasteful comes up where yeah. so th- in this scene it's like the part where uh marcus is like uh what's his last name it's not it's market. No, ah, uh, whatever. So Mar- Marcus is the last name. Marcus is his last name. So Marcus yeah. is like, all right, guys, we're after John Harrison. He's a guy who used to work for Starfleet. And I want you to open up the, the hounds of hell and run this some bitch down into the ground. We're going to make him pay. And I'm like, what the hell am I watching? Yeah. Who this is some like guy? Why is this- he in Starfleet? Who, yeah, this... who will let him join Starfleet and get to the rank of admiral? Exactly. Yeah, like it's like, it, yeah, yeah. It it because it is such like a Michael Bay '90s like who raw speech, and I think it's supposed to feel wrong, but it still feels wrong. That's because I think the ultimate issue with this movie is that like regardless of the politics of the trutherism and everything this everyone knew that they were making a a uh, uh you know a a sort of look at like oh we're going to like deal with stuff we're dealing with in modern times in a star trek movie yeah no no like you you if you do that they have to visit a planet where that's happening Starfleet has their shit figured out like that's the whole point so if Starfleet is dealing with the same shit that we're dealing with today with like open terrorism and within the ranks of Starfleet and all of this stuff and and assholes like this you know as admirals that flies in the face of everything that Starfleet and the Federation is supposed to stand for and as a result, it's like you're not making a Star Trek movie at that point. It's supposed to be idealistic. We're not supposed to drag Star Trek down to our level. We're supposed to have this, the have the Enterprise crew go to a planet that is like today mm-hmm. and help them through it and fix it, right? But like what they're doing here is fundamentally incorrect in terms of how Star Trek is supposed to operate as a franchise. Yeah. Okay. So two questions. I yeah. want, I'm curious as to my, my memory is already hazy on our thoughts on Star Trek insurrection. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the nature of that movie. You forget it <laughs> as you're watching. Sure. It. Cause that is also a, you know, a film about kind of the moral rot at the, but I wonder if in, in, in insurrection, if it was more like, was that guy just a guy? Yes. That was just a guy. Okay, cool. Yeah. Was, he yeah. wasn't a representative of a larger conspiracy within Starfleet. He was one guy who was like, I personally have decided what's best for the Federation and 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 you know where we should go next and this is the solution. Yeah. And so and I have Jean-Luc- taken upon myself to do this myself, make a deal with these people myself. But like he wasn't part of a larger conspiracy. Yeah. And Jean-Luc was like, that's not the Starfleet way, you know. Yes, like, exactly. Right. It's <laughs> made something. Yeah. So uh Kirk realizes a second too late like oh my god what, what, what was your second question you said you had two questions oh damn um yeah okay fair enough <laughs> uh, so we yeah we got a lot of movie so 
he's like, oh, damn, like the Joker wanted to get caught. I mean, like John Harrison wanted us all to be in one one place because he knew he, you know, blah, blah, blah. So he attacks all of them in that ship. Kirk notices that the little pod has a warp drive engine on it. Save that for later. Um, Pike is killed and Spock manages to drag him off to safety enough with enough time to mind meld with him. And it's such a fascinating moment because like Spock chooses to do that. Mm -hmm. He has like, he's curious. He's like, I want to, what, you know, he has this moment where he's like, I want to know what this is like. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's singular. Yeah. Um, But it's also super sad. And Kirk's super sad when he, when he sees it as he's also another father figure, but also kind of, this is the first time that he got to, you know, like George was already dead before he was born or as he was being born, you know? It, it's it's also very um, uh, I don't know. It's not like Pike's told him it was okay that he did that. Like, Spock, oh yes, Spock yeah. used the situation as if he was like an like an animal he was experimenting mm. on. Yeah, definitely. In a way that like I I feel I it just feels gross to me. I don't know. No, for sure. I think that's valid because it's kind of like, but I think that's also kind of. Spocky, of a, a human, or, 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 or do you or do you think it's almost kind of like unspock like that Spock would? I do actually that? think it's completely unspock like. I cool. think it's it's. I, I almost feel um, it feels. I don't know. I I don't I don't want to I don't I don't want to say that it feels like like something that someone on the spectrum would do, but it just feels like something that like. Someone who has who does not have an understanding of like polite society would do, mm-hmm. um, you know, like it, it doesn't feel Spock. It feels like somebody who doesn't know how to write Spock would be like, oh, yeah, this is what Spock would do. And like, like no, I don't I don't think he would. I think he has he has too much respect for other living creatures to ever do something like that. Even if there was a moment where like if, if there had been like a line where uh, uh, Pike was like, help me, like be with me or something, you know? Yeah. Or like, yeah. Make the, you know, and he's like, Oh, like there's a thing I can do where I can like calm someone as they're dying. And it's kind right. Of, right. But, but I have to that, mind meld with them. And yeah. Yeah. Involves yeah. That melding. like that would be a Spock thing, but like just mm-hmm. doing it without asking permission is super invasive and, and is not in character, I think for Spock at all. Um, and also there's a line later where he explains like what it felt like. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, yeah, he was like, he was like mad and confused and what I, I was like, yeah, because you were fucking mild, mind melding with him without permission as he was dying. <laughs> that's yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I don't oh, know. man. Um, and then they don't even get to talk about that moment because they get lasered. But that that comes later. Um, right. Right. So, you know, Kirk's super upset that Pike is dead and we all are. And back in Marcus's office, uh he has brought both boys to 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 his quarters. We get a cool Easter egg where uh, Marcus is strolling past a a row of little model ships, and it's like the history of Starfleet. Yeah, like we get Zephyr Cochran ship. Right, right. The first one is the Zephyr Cochran ship, which is cool because that part of the timeline never changed. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think I, I think someone said that like the Enter- Archer's Enterprise is up there. Yeah, yeah, untouched untouched and he gives this really like uncomfortable it's really cool how spock immediately clocks it but kirk is so like emotional emotionally compromised over uh 
Pike's death. But Marcus is like, hey, like, we know that he's on Kronos, the Klingon homeworld. If they find out that Starfleet is going to Kronos, it could start a war that, personally, I think has already started. You know, if you ask me, we're already at war. But that's beside the point. Um, so I want you to sneak on to Kronos. Don't say that you're with Starfleet. Find John Harrison and kill him. Mm-hmm. Like, kill him dead. And Kirk's like, yeah, kill him dead. I will. And Spock's like, uh, this is a pretty weird thing to say. (laughs) Yeah. I don't like, I don't like any, I don't like anything about this whole meeting. Yeah. Um, and then we, uh, oh, uh, uh, Scotty learns that the, the John Harrison ship that Kirk crashed had a portable transport beaming device on it Mm -hmm. that allowed John Harrison to get teleported from the ship after, even before it could crash. Right. So this kind of goes back to the conversation we had about how. Um, oh, oh, and that, that's when we learned about Section Thirty-One. Right. That the place that was attacked, that was bombed, wasn't actually like a a library or archives. It was something called Section Thirty-One, which was Starfleet off the record developing military and defense weaponry and technology. Yeah, it's it's a it's a uh, a a very famous part of Star Trek lore. Um I believe created within DS9 or at least used most famously oh. in, in DS9. I don't know that. Um yeah. So yeah, it's like it's a it's a big deal. Um and I think supposedly is it there's they made they make reference to it in lower decks in season 3. Um and then I think there's um I think they're dealing with it again in in Picard season three or or the next season of Discovery. One or the other is doing it. Oh yeah, no, it's that's right. There's going to be a Discovery spinoff led by Michelle Yeoh that is all about Section Thirty One. Wow, yeah, that's really surprising because like like watching it today, I totally clocked that as a like oh that's such a nine eleven truther aspect of like oh starfleet secretly developing off the books military technology man but no it's it's part of the lore <clears throat> yeah and it's and it's super uh controversial like within when when it becomes like an open secret in deep space nine like everyone is like this flies in the face of everything that uh, starfleet and the federation is supposed to represent and so yeah there is a conspiracy within starfleet it's why deep space nine is a controversial show within yeah. trek fandom um, but it is treated in a way that is very Star Trek. Yeah. You know, um, For sure. it, the, it, the it's drama challenged. It. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's, it, yeah, it's all about challenging the ideals of Star Trek and the ideals of Star Trek overcoming those, mm. that challenge. Yeah. So it's like, cause that's Star how you Trek. properly write a Star Trek series. <laughs> that's so interesting. Cause you know, I don't know if Star Wars, I mean, they don't have to be the same, but that's really interesting that Star Trek almost has. Star Trek is the protagonist of Star Trek. Oh, and 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 that's all I'm going to talk about next week in Star Trek Beyond because that's right. that's literally what that movie is. Um, and I I can't wait to talk about. It. I'm so excited to talk about Star Trek Beyond. So, uh, Kirk learns that he is you know they're going they're going back to the Enterprise to run down <laughs> Khan like a dog and kill him. And Spock's like, "This is really weird. I don't like this." Kirk, wake up. Bones is just like scanning Kirk. And then Carol Marcus, played by Alice Eve, enters. We don't know that her last name is Marcus yet. Um, I know it's kind of hacky. I really like Spock being jealous that 
Kirk brought in an additional science officer. No, I love that too. I think it's fun. Um, I think it's fun. I I will say, um, I nothing against Alice Eve. Alice Eve is doing a perfectly fine job in this movie. Um, but I hate Alice Eve as, as Carol Marcus um, for multiple reasons. But the main ones is that it doesn't make any sense because Carol Marcus isn't British. And in this movie, neither is her father. So why the fuck is, is Alice Eve playing this with a British accent? It doesn't make any sense. And you can be like, well, maybe her mom was British. I was like, but that doesn't mean she would have a British accent. <laughs> and, yeah. like, and And it's like. You know, it's one of those things where we're like, well, what what did Alice Eve do in the room? Right. That was like, that's our Carol. I I I don't think anything. I think she just cuz there's not really much to play in this movie. And this is this is another big issue I have with this is yeah. that the core 3 which has always been Kirk, Bones, Spock becomes Kirk, Spock and Uhura. They are the core, th- the core three now. Um, yeah. Bones is not part of that core three. He is not the 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 human, uh, you know, wild card on Kirk's shoulder opposite, you know, Spock's logic. That is not how. That is not what's at play here. So Bones now just becomes like a side character. Scotty has a lot to do because he's played by Simon Pegg, and so he has a whole story arc that's really great, actually, in this yeah. movie. We'll get but. To it. But Bones, so so like McCoy, and um, I would I would argue, I guess to a lesser extent, but still Sulu. I don't really care for what they do with Sulu in this movie. I it, it feels like fan service bullshit. Um, but like where it's like he becomes a captain one day, wink wink, nudge nudge. Yeah, I was like, yeah. fuck you, <laughs> don't pander to me, you assholes. So so I don't like I don't like what they do with Sulu, and like they do nothing with Chekhov, which is. So frustrating because we, he's gone now. Like, Anton Yelchin's gone, and you guys fucking wasted him in this movie. He does nothing. Like, he catches Kirk at one point. That's it. That's the only mm. thing he does this entire fucking movie. Um, hate it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. A memory that I had was, and it, it's such a throwaway moment that I'll bring it up now. But so, well, you know, actually, this kind of uh, this, this works perfectly. So, there, Mar- Marcus is like, "Hey, here's seventy two torpedoes. Do not check what's in them. Do not open them. But there's seventy two torpedoes you will use to kill Khan." And Scotty's like, "No, <laughs> no, are you kidding? No, I, I have to check what's in them. This is look at the warp core." What if something's in? What if like the ship blows up? You know, and they have a yeah. big fight. He has uh, maybe my favorite line in the movie, uh, Scotty. Where he's like, "I thought we were explorers." This, yep. This feels like a military operation, and it's so frustrating because it's like you're kind of going back to Roberto Orsi. Like you're making this happen, right? Like you're the one putting these characters in this position, and like, right? I get what you're trying to do. Is you know, it kind of what you got like what you said of like challenging Starfleet so that Starfleet prevails. Right. But, you know, we'll see how it, how it works out for them. So <laughs> Scotty leaves. It, it, I like how it is kind of directed like a breakup mm-hmm. where Kirk surprises himself by accepting Scotty's resignation. Mm-hmm. And in light of that, the ship is without a chief engineer and Kirk wantonly throws the position at Chekhov and says, change into a red shirt. 
and the camera holds on him and he goes, oh, okay, Captain, they'll change it to a red shirt. And I remember everyone in my audience was like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I, I can't, I still can't figure out if that was on purpose or like incidental of audiences clocking the red shirt thing. Uh, I feel like it's, I feel like it's mostly accidental because like Scotty wears a red shirt. He's in engineering. That's, that's yeah. the color of the shirt, you know, like, <laughs> do, do, do you remember thinking that when that happened? No, uh, but, okay. but I, I, I just, I, you know, because like For some reason we did. Cause yeah. Cause red shirts are security, not yeah. engineering. Yeah. So it's almost like, know. it's almost like a, a thing that non Trekkies would clock more than Trekkies. A hundred percent. Yes, because non-Trekkies are like, oh, red shirts means that they're going to die. That's like pop pop culture osmosis. I know that fact to be self-evident. But but the reality is that um, every color of of Starfleet uniform has like two sides to it almost Mm -hmm. Um, where like, you know, you have your blue, which is like the science officers. But you could be like on the command side of things. Mm-hmm. like blue but like also you can be on the medical side of things so you could be the explorer side or the medical side right got different it, yeah. different sides of the same thing and then like gold you've got you know pilots and captains right like mm-hmm. you've got that's that's a different side Sulu and Kirk. On, right and then on the red on the on the red side you have security personnel and engineering now that's the only one where i'm like we should really give like engineering maybe a different color i don't know what security and and engineering have to do with each other but yeah. you know oh well whatever make security black uh, yeah a black sure. shirt yeah absolutely absolutely um but uh but yeah but like yeah anyone who knows anything about star trek knows that and so it's like when he says like put on a red shirt the audience reacting to that, I think, is definitely like people who don't know that like that doesn't mean he's going to die. Scotty was wearing a red shirt the whole time. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. And he's, uh, so Kirk gives a stirring speech to the crew as they're about to head off on this manhunt. And he makes a last minute addition. He glances over at his boyfriend, Spock, and is like, ah, damn it. He's right. And he's like, hey, when we find John Harrison, we're going to apprehend him and bring him to justice. That's what we're going to do, Kirk, out. And uh, the, the little moment of like, Captain, I'm happy that you made that decision. He's like, you happy? And he's like, I was just using an expression. Yeah, yeah. I really get that note that you said about Abrams. Like, yeah, he brings so much energy energy to those individual moments that mm-hmm. it almost allows you to forget that the whole is so rickety. Right, right. Um, I think that's what he's best at. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 think, I think that's why I like... Rise of Skywalker. It's like, yeah, no, if I if I look at the grand scope of the thing, no. Like there there's a yeah. lot of stuff I don't like in that. But like the individual moments of that movie I have so much fun with because I like how Abrams uses characters. Like Yeah. In in, in sequences, you know? I, I think that's true of Force Awakens as well. Sure. Where sure. I, I don't go back to that movie over and over again because I love watching Starkiller Base explode. That's true. That's true. It's the characters. Yeah. Love watching those those crazy kids meet for the first time. Yeah. So I don't hate Sulu in the chair just because I I, I, I think it's just, you know, John Cho's like, you know, if you test me, you will fail. But you know what it kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of, of Spider-Man wanting to be an Avenger in Infinity War. Um, I, I, I could see that. But my issue with it, I guess, is more like 
all of the people being like, wow, wouldn't want to mess with you as a captain. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Big man. Like, it's, it, yeah, it's just it's all it's all very like Kasulu becomes a captain, you see. Um, like every, every line is like, see, he's destined to become a captain one day. See, um, that's, like, that's what he's going to do. And everyone's like, I don't know. Sulu is a captain. That seems crazy. It's like, oh, it's funny because he becomes a captain one day. Like it, it's, it's just like over and over and over again, the same joke told like six different ways. Yeah. yeah and you're, and yeah, like he's the line of like, I wouldn't want to piss you off, Sulu. It's like, we already kind of knew. I didn't think he was like. It's not a surprise that all of a sudden Sulu is like a commanding authoritative presence because like we saw him do a really cool sword fight in the last movie. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so we get that moment. Um, they uh, they are a place. See, it would have been. I, I was just going to say to improve it. Yeah, because doesn't he 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 takes the 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 captain seat like for a sequence in the first movie, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, my God. You're like, right. Yeah. Yeah, That's there's right. a moment where that happens. I I feel like even if even if you're not referencing that moment in particular, because I can't remember, I can't remember like yeah, the events certainly. surrounding that moment or like what he does when he's in the chair. It's but but if if he's like Sulu, you're in charge, and McCoy takes him aside, he's like, "Do you remember the last time that you put Sulu <laughs> in charge? Do you remember what he did?" You're really going to put him on the chair again? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's funnier. Like, that's like McCoy just being like super tense no, 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 about no, no, no. Sulu yeah. being. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, don't worry. You know, don't worry, McCoy. Like, I'm not going to do the same thing as last time. And he's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, that would have been funnier and like a more entertaining moment for Sulu than everyone just like uh, pointing Whoa. out pointing out how Sulu was going to be a captain one day, like metatextually. Yeah. If it was like, well, Sulu's kind of a wild card. He gets kind of back to the Avelian when he's in the chair for a few seconds. You yes. know? <laughs> uh, and then like, and then he says that and McCoy's looking at him and he, and he mutes the comm and he's just like, oh, don't worry. I'm fine. Um, you know, yeah. like just, <laughs> oh, I'm good. Yeah. It's all, it's all, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a character. Yeah. It's a character. I'm playing a character. It's fine. <laughs> and the second that none yeah. it goes back into it. That's like really the second, funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the second he's relieved from the chair, he's like, okay. And he's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah 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 and he would have nailed it because it's john show you know like yeah totally absolutely uh-huh. so the reason sulu even has the chair is because kirk and you know i i, I, I missed this copy you're right the trio of ahura kirk and spock head on the away team and the reason okay so the reason ahura is on the away team is because she speaks klingon it's yes. rusty but it's good and there's uh they go to Kronos. There's this big. W- w- what do you think of the 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 speeder chase, as it were, through Kronos with the with the little mini warbird? Uh, it's it's good. It's very Star Wars. Um, yes, extremely Star Wars. It reminds me a lot of the Millennium Falcon chase on Jakku. Oh, you're right. Yeah, because it's like through junk and little tunnels yep. and stuff. Yep. Yeah, it's it's very much like. Just the same, the same <laughs> sequence, just yeah. at night instead of day. Um, um, we, but, we get that uh, that Spock speech that we mentioned earlier. Where he's like, "I I mind melded with Pike without his consent seconds before his death," and he seemed pretty confused about it. Um, <laughs> and then we get a moment that really frustrated me. So mm. they have to land. Oh, I really love uh, Chichino's incorporation of like Klingon chanting in the score. Sure, yeah, like that. That was fun. So they land, and Kirk's like, well, it's a J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. Time to have a firefight. And Ahura's like, wait, you brought me here on this mission to speak Klingon 
let me speak Klingon. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is going to be great. I think I remember this part. And we get Zoe Saldana, her coming out, and, you know, with the, the Klingon team, we get the Klingon reveal. And Zoe Saldana speaking Klingon is metal. Yeah, it's good. It's great. And then the movie totally robs Uhura of this moment by having a firefight break out because John Harrison yep. just comes out with two big old guns and starts shooting people. Yep. And I'm like, no, like that would have been so cool to have a her because this potentially is the first contact between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. Although like, they don't know they're talking to the Federation, but yeah. That's true. It just would have been a cool moment for Uhura to actually use her communication skills to be like, you know, you're on, you know, she tries to. It's like, you know, you believe in honor. This guy's a bum. He killed some of our guys. Let us come in. And t if, if there would have been like, you're pretty cool, Uhura. Like, blah, 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 you know, something. Yeah. But it just gets yeah. interrupted by a, a gunfight. Well, but that's 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 also, I think, an issue is like, I, I hate their interpretation of Klingons. Um Okay. Because they 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 they're othering them too much. Okay. Um, yeah. They're 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 mystery boxing the Klingons, and I I fucking hate it. Uh, because they're not like yeah, she is like talking to them, but they're not given the opportunity to be like actual beings People. with like yeah. thoughts and and feelings and 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 you know they're not even given a chance to be convinced by her. Yeah. Yeah. Before the scene blows it up. But like, yeah, so we don't know. We, we continue to know nothing about the Klingons in the Kelvin universe because and, and really they just seem like, <clears throat> I don't know, they seem kind of metal. Like they just like, yeah, you like know, to, like, to, to a non Trekkie, they could have been like <clears throat> any insert like bad guys in Guardians of the Galaxy, you know? Yep. Like, yep. Yep. And yeah, what if that moment had been like, you know, a standoff between that Klingon and Uhura and then he like erupts in laughter. Or is like, yeah right yeah, yes you're a warrior you know because Klingons are awesome we love Klingons yeah and like there's not a point where like you get any sense of Klingon culture it's just like oh they just like live in a junkyard cool fun great <laughs> yeah yeah like none of the romance or like they were quoting Shakespeare in in yeah the other one you know like yeah. And there's just none of that, and and it just seems like they're like animals, like just like wild animals, uh, yeah. of like, and it's that thing where people get so hung up on overthinking alien species, where they're just like, well, the cheesy thing about alien species in Star Trek is that they're all humanoid with like a thing on their head, but yeah. like, what if you really met an alien species and they were like really alien? Wouldn't that be cool? It's like. No, well, yes, but <laughs> no, you can't figure that out because you are a human. So, like, everything that you come up with is going to be some twist on humanity or whatever, or it's going to be mystery boxing and alien species. And sure. neither one of those things are as interesting as you think they are. You know? Right, yeah. Like going back to the native species <clears throat> at the very beginning, it was just kind of like they were very othered as well. Right. Extremely, extremely othered. And I, I, I don't I don't like that. And it's and again, it is it goes against everything that Star Trek is supposed to represent. And one thing I do like, though, which is interesting that they have this as well, is I like how varied the crew is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where they have that android guy. Yeah, um, they have like, you know, aliens. Oh, I'm almost certain we see the girl from beyond with the spider crab head. 
in the background. Oh, nice. That's cool. Maybe I'm just seeing things, but I like to believe that like, yeah. You know. So um, I, but I do want to say, I just want to, I want to, I want to like, please take my point further with like the criticism that you hear a lot of like all the aliens are just humans with shit on their head. Um, yeah. You know, and, and people are being like, that's a bad thing. They should be more alien. And I'm like, no, you're missing the point. The whole point of Star Trek is that they're all just like us. They just have different uh, cultures. Yeah. The mm. reason that they're all humanoid is to make a point about humanity and about the goals of the Federation and of Star Trek of like, no, we have to stop othering people. We have to accept their cultures and and you know, learn to understand their cultures and where they're coming from, you know, be empathetic with them, not other them. And this is doing, this movie is like all over in the opposite direction of like, no, we're going to mystery box all of the alien species and we're going to make them really weird. Um, and I just, I'm like, well, that's missing the entire point of like everything we're supposed to be doing. You know what it is? It's very Star Wars. <clears throat> yes, it is. Where Star Wars is all about, like, look at this guy. He's got a he's got a lamp for eyes, and he's by, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I mean, yeah, the 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 Kelvin verse is very Beyond gets a little bit better, but it seems so very uninterested in even exploring other seeking out strange new worlds. Yes. Um. So, Spock or Khan takes out all the Klingons, you know, kills all of them, and it's just like, look how cool this guy is, and he. Uh, then find it's like, hey, how many you know? And, and Sulu's that guy. He sounds like a real badass. That whoever that captain guy was. <laughs> but how many missiles do you have? And they're like seventy two. And he's like, oh crap, it's my homies. That's I surrender. Specific. I surrender. And it's <clears throat> utterly humiliating. Kirk wants to have a badass, cool moment where he's like, on behalf of Admiral Pike, I accept your surrender. Punch. No effect. And he just keeps trying to punch him, Khan, until it's to be like, Jim, stop. It's not going to happen, man. And I I really don't like this moment because mm-hmm. it's not played for laughs. It's mm-hmm. it's played like really seriously. Um, yeah. And it makes it really like awkward. I feel in a bad way of like, wait what the fuck is Kirk's problem? <laughs> you know, like it, it, it just like, it, I'm like, is, is Kirk okay? Like, uh, I don't know. Like it, it just doesn't. And then it doesn't amount to anything because then he has to like work with him again, you know, like, like 20 yeah. minutes from now. So I don't know. I think it's just meant to, <clears throat> I think what they're going for is like, whoa, like Kirk thought that he was going to have a big hero moment, but like, he didn't realize that Khan was so, yeah, so, but but my, my my feeling is that like you could have done that with one punch, you didn't have to have him yeah. like keep trying. Yeah, it's a, like it's that extra. that moment that you described is is exactly the moment one punch, no reaction from Khan, and it's like oh Kirk's shit, like, and then we cut to the next scene. Like that's what it should be, not Kirk deciding uh, he's gonna fucking wail on this guy. For um, like Twenty seconds. I, <clears throat> yeah, it just doesn't. I don't. I, I don't think the moment works for me at all. Yeah. The moment you described, I could literally see happening to Shatner Kirk, of like, yeah, one good deck, and then it's like, you know, dramatic music of like, whoa, that didn't have any effect, and Kirk's like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, okay. My chops will have no effect on this one. <laughs> yes. 
So, <clears throat> oh, speaking get... of Shatner, yeah, <clears throat> I forgot to mention. Um, <clears throat> Abrams wanted him to be in this movie because he felt bad that he didn't get him in the last one, mm-hmm. and uh, and so uh, the scene later in the movie where where um, Spock talks to Spock Prime, his Spock Prime's cameo in this movie. Yep. Um, that was not going to happen, and instead, when Kirk dies, he was going to meet himself. Like in, in heaven? Yes. Like at, a, at a King's Cross station? Yes. <laughs> wow. And he was going to be the one to tell him about Khan and everything that Khan did. What if, Scott? Okay. Like the Jack from Lost shot, you know, of, but, it's, mm-hmm. but, it's, but it's Pine Kirk. And he's like, wow, oh my God. And he's like, he wakes up and he's in like an idyllic, beautiful, like green forest. Yeah. And he follows a trail and he comes upon a cabin. <laughs> yes. And we see William Shatner Kirk just chopping wood. Yeah. Back oh, at oh. it. <laughs> Back at it. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> or, or, or he wakes up on the beach and in the distance you see like a, a someone on a horse. Oh coming. man! Oh, just oh, that would be yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello. I'm making, I'm, making, I'm making pancakes. Oh, I miss uh, so much. Hop on, hop on. <laughs> god, I forgot how cute I was. God, I was a looker. What? <laughs> oh man, yeah, I would have saved the whole movie. It would have been a good scene. People would have hated it, but I would have loved it. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, we get the the stock, you know, uh, villain in a plastic prison waiting silently for the heroes. And then the heroes think they've got the situation under control. But actually, the villain's been pulling the strings the whole time. And he's like, Kirk's like, what? You know, why should I trust you? Because I have 72 reasons for you to trust me. Check the torpedoes. And go to these court, and it's it's like oh my god, he's just giving them. It's very like I guess going back to mystery boxing, of like, hey, what's what's your deal, man? Why are you doing all this? Here are coordinates and a clue. Check yeah. the torpedoes. Go to these coordinates, and then maybe I'll tell you what the plot of the movie is. You know, yeah, or maybe you'll figure it out yourself. <laughs> so. Kirk calls Scotty. We get the return of a uh, of Deep Roy's character. Mm-hmm. Of uh, hey, real quick, what, what do you think of uh, the Kelvin versus depiction of uh, swinging Star Trek nightlife? <laughs> I think it's fun. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I like it. I love Scotty's like seventies shirt. That was great. <laughs> this weirdly feel it. It like <clears throat> and not a lot of parts of this movie feels like lovingly calling back to the Trek of old. Mm-hmm. But this really gave me like the original movies, like whenever they would go to a nightclub, you know. Yeah, yeah, Had that same vibe. No, that was this. This this was a good version of that. The scene where Kirk wakes up in bed with with twin aliens with tails is a I bad version that. of this. It's like five seconds. I fucking hate. I hated that so much. Especially because, like, I we watched it all. He's not that much of a cad. Like, he <laughs> likes to flirt, you know? And, he, yeah, yeah. He's, he's kissed a few ladies in his time. But, like, you know, he's not a womanizer. Like, that's not his thing. I don't it, know. It's, it, it, it feels the same thing, like, uh, going back to the, the cold open, where it's just kind of like, or, or the red shirt joke. 
of like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Kirk. He's a womanizer. He, every planet, he would always like bet 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 a bet a maiden, no matter what what species she was. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So they uh, they check the torpedoes, or uh, Kirk asks Scotty to like check these coordinates. He he uh, hastily agrees. They uh figure out that they're oh gosh it's already the th- this is where we get uh bones and carol diffusing the torpedo right yeah okay so you know it's been talked about to death i don't know what more we have to say on it but we do get the the much maligned scene where kirk checks out carol as she's undressing right it's this cringe yeah, it, it, it's super cringe. It's something that um, Abrams and Lindelof have both apologized for. Lindelof says that it's his fault. He blames himself. Mm-hmm. Abrams says, while it was in the script, I didn't have to shoot it. You know, yeah. so I, I also blame myself. And Alice Eve is like, I don't know what the big deal is. I My body's hot and I wasn't I didn't feel exploit exploitative or whatever, like. Yeah, sure. Show my hot body on a movie screen. I don't care. Like that yeah. was her vibe. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So and it's like it's it's like uh, like, but yeah. It, ultimately, it just it's a cringy moment that didn't need to exist. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. I'm not against like uh, making Carol a love interest as a just you know on its own or like giving them a hot steamy romance. That's fine. Like if this had been like an actual like scene with steam and you know like right but it's just like oh you know yeah no it's this weird thing and it's and it's again it's it's a lot of problem with this movie which is like the the sulu being a captain thing this is hinting at something that like people in the know will know about like oh they're gonna have a son together these two see um but but it's it's not doing anything with that information it's just like Oh look, he's looking at a pretty lady. It was like, yeah, yeah, he's Kirk. Of course he would. Like, I don't, you, I don't, I don't see what the fucking big deal is. Or you know, going back to like, yeah, I want to show off my hot body. Like, yeah, if they had both been showing off their hot bodies, like, totally. If that was the dyna- dynamic of like, oh, we both have to undress and get into our our suits, but we also can't leave because I'm I'm saying plot to you, so we're both right. gonna like try not to look and like, whoa, Kirk's like stacked. Like, whoa, Carol. Like, even that I think would have, yeah. A hundred percent so much better. But and also the coyness of her being like, turn around. Why? Just turn around. Yeah. Like, what, I was what like, is just this? just say, like, I'm going to change. Turn the are, turn around. I, you are too, I'm going to change and I want some privacy. Turn around. Like, yeah, you are two adult, like in your 30s, co-workers, Starfleet officers. Like, that's your captain. Yeah. yeah be like, oh, yeah. turn around. I, yeah. It's weird. Why, why, why can't you just be upfront about what you're doing? Why are you being so coy? Yeah. And like tee hee heeing about like <laughs> changing your clothes. And like her turnaround is like, uh, anyway, yeah. So it's weird. But you know what else is weird that doesn't get is like uh, Bones like hitting on Carol on their away mission, mm. which is like, I don't know. Is, is, is this also out of character for Bones? You know, I'm a little bit more than me. It struck me as weird. I was like, why is Bones like being all like, oh, these hands are legendary. I I don't mind that, and it reminds me of them putting Spock and Uhura together, where they're like, oh, maybe this is the direction the Kelvin universe is going to go in, instead of... Oh, that would have been really fun, as if they had gone all the way with that, of, yes. like, they, it, they're they like, this is their meet cute this whole sequence. Yeah, 
that that would be a lot better. And also, like, I don't know. I just think if you're going to do that scene, don't do it with the person that she has no chemistry with. Like, she has Alice Eve has zero chemistry with Chris Pine, which is like it's almost impressive how <laughs> zero chemistry the two of them have. They have nothing. Yeah. Um, if if you if you notice the chemistry between her and 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 Bones, then that's who that scene should have been with. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so they deactivate the missile. There's a man in there. Scotty checks the coordinates behind Jupiter, and we get um. That classic mainstay of a character about to say shit, and then we cut away. Yeah. Love, oh, you know what? Time. I have another. I never never another thought. Yeah, please. The fact that she is Carol Marcus, because mm-hmm. it has absolutely no bearing on the future of like what who that character becomes, right? Because right, in she terms has of zero like, chemistry with Kirk, and they don't even like try to like make that romance a thing. In this yeah, movie. she's certainly not in Beyond. Right, and she's not in Beyond at all. Um, I assume because of that scene. They put that shot into this movie, and because of the reaction to it, they probably just didn't, they just dumped her from the sequel completely. Wow, that's such a bummer. Because she's supposed to be on the five-year mission. She's on it at the end of this movie. They say family. They say welcome to the family. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. but, But she's not in the next one, and I think it's entirely because of people's reaction to that, that stupid shot. Um, in any event, yeah, uh, and 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 people learning the wrong lesson. Oh, they must not like Carol. No, that's not what we were saying, <laughs> you idiots. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, uh, but like, shouldn't that be instead of Carol? Shouldn't that be the 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 um the woman that falls in love with Khan and Space Seed? Oh wow, her yeah. That's that's who that should be, right? That shouldn't be Carol yeah. Marcus. Why the fuck is it Carol Marcus? That's true. Well, because Wrath of Khan. Right. It's only Carol Marcus because of Wrath of Khan and because she's the only other like female Star Trek character that anyone knows the name of. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, uh, well what about, uh, you know who would have been really fun as uh, the Yeoman from those early episodes? Yeah. Should have been cool. Yeah. That if, been you cool wanna too. Back, if you want to call back, if you want to just not have like a new, an original character, you know? Right. Right. But like, but. I, I don't know. I, I, I just find the whole thing. Of, I don't know. There, there's a lot. No. I think there's just like a lot of mistakes in this. For sure. So yeah. they go back to Khan's little prison cell and we get that scene I was referencing earlier where Benedict Cumberbatch absolutely bodies this scene for no reason. Yeah. Like I, I'll never forget. I, I think I saw this in like XD or whatever, like enhanced audio. His voice like shook the room yeah a and lot of the critics a lot of the critics talk about that about yeah. like how much of a powerful presence he has and i actually think it is because of this movie that he just started being in tons of blockbusters after this yeah you know it's 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 weird watching it this time um the last time i saw this movie and the, certainly the first time i saw this movie i don't think he was dr strange yet no so i was like man I, he was just benedict cumberbatch and i remember this being I think I was already on the Sherlock train for sure, but this was like I remember being the dude getting my friends hype. Like, no, this guy's really good. Yeah, I know you haven't seen. It. He has a funny name, but like, but yeah. if you look at the if you like think about the dialogue that he's saying, it is super like it is the definition of telling, not showing. Yeah, of like his whole story, 
Yeah, yeah, he tells his whole story. I, I, can I, can I, I, okay, so, so I haven't totally worked this out in my head, but I was thinking about this while watching the movie, and I was like, who would have been a better villain than Khan? Because Mm -hmm. Khan was a bad choice, I think. Um, Because I don't care about his people. We don't meet any of them. They never wake up. They're, they're, they're inanimate objects right they're they're yeah. concepts essentially they don't even give him a wife to like really hang his hat on of like or you know they don't even they couldn't even go and shoot like second unit flashback of them all like at a bar together or yeah you know we don't, like, we, don't, we we have no understanding of like what they represent to him like why are they why why is why are they his family like we we don't understand any of that yeah. um so I was like, who would be a better villain in this story than, uh, than uh, uh, Khan. Uh, Khan? And I was like, okay, so you, you, you have this story where you're telling the story about how this guy is trying to start a war with the Klingons because he was like, I will thrive in war and only, and then I'll be like leader and blah, 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 like <laughs> emperor of the Federation, whatever, yeah. whatever the fuck his <laughs> ultimate plan is. Um Flying in the face of everything that the Federation is supposed to stand for, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have this guy doing all this shit, right? Played by Benedict Cumberbatch, exactly the same guy, doing mm-hmm. all this crazy shit, right? Except he doesn't have super strength, because that's that's I don't I'm I've never loved that about <laughs> Khan. But yeah, yeah so so he, he doesn't have like crazy super strength. He's not a superhero. He's just a guy and he's doing like things that are perceived as like terrorist stuff, right? And and it's it, it's all like crazy, <clears throat> and then the big reveal when you realize he's not John Harrison, he's someone else. And instead of Khan, you find out he's Picard, and oh, he comes wow. from he comes from the future of the Kelvin timeline, where this guy has done what he is planning on doing, this admiral, and he has yeah. come back in time to stop it from happening to make sure the Federation stays on the righteous path. Holy shit. That's cool. imagine, imagine him being like, my name isn't John Harrison. It's Picard. My name imagine is the Picard. fucking reaction that you would have gotten um, from that. Now, the reason that they would have never done that is a because of Nemesis. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and there being like a secondary Picard in that. Right. And then mm. also because the last film involved time travel and they wouldn't want to do time travel again. But like, yeah. so I understand why they would have never have gone for that. But holy fucking shit, that would have been such a cooler. And again, would have reinforced like, oh, the guy you thought was a villain is actually trying to save everything that the Federation represents. Yeah, you get like, yeah, you can get like, like dilapidated fascist state start like Star Trek world. Yeah, where like freaking like Riker. And like Worf or like, yeah, we're okay. We almost got it. Go, go, get it, go. You know, like, I promise yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix all this. <laughs> like, yeah, he gets set back. Oh, yeah. there's time now. I, you have um, like the, yeah. the, the Picard family winery like burning and like Benedict oh, Cumberbatch man. just watching it burn and just being like on tears. <laughs> yeah. Just like, fuck this guy. Fuck this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That would have been great. Yeah. And then no one would have been mad that you cast a white guy. Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah. Jean-Luc Picard's like the <laughs> whitest guy character in fiction, I think. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> but yeah, it was just like all yeah. of this talk about like who could play a young Picard in 
in the Kelvin universe. And Benedict Cumberbatch isn't up for, you know, negotiation with that because he played Khan. But, like, he would have been a good choice. Yeah, absolutely. Shave his head. Yeah, because he has that he has that gravitas in his voice to play oh, yeah. Picard. Yeah. Oh man, that would have been that would have because then that would have been three dimensional chess because everyone would have been like, Oh, it's Khan, right? I mean he has to be Khan. They're like, no, he's not Khan. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh man. Oh man, that would have been such a better move. Anyway. Um So So you know, um what <laughs> What's the name of what's the name of Marcus's ship? The big, I the don't big black. The I kept wanting to call it. So Riker's ship is the is the Titan. Y- yeah, it's not the it Defiant. Up. That's already a ship too. Yeah, that's the Deep Space Nine ship. Um, so it's a big black. It's a big giant like obelisk, but it has the sh- the same shape as the Enterprise. Vengeance. The Vengeance. Great. So. You know, just, what just we- the just the best, most wonderful Federation starship name. <laughs> the fucking Introdu- vengeance. Introducing that's what, the- that's what Batman calls himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine what's his game plan? All right, so like uh, you know, six months to a year from now in San Francisco, Marcus is like, you know, at a presentation. He's like, uh oh, now introducing the new crown jewel of Starfleet. The vengeance and this big scary, like power of <laughs> Orthank looking ship. Yeah. The only thing that I do like about it is it, it does definitely feel like they're drawing a straight line from the Romulan ship to this thing. Yeah, for sure. The the Romulan ship from the future from the last Star Trek to like, oh, we, we took all of that technology and now we're we're turning it into a Federation ship. Definitely. And yeah. that's all interesting of like, you know, <clears throat> playing with the ramifications of the, the crazy stuff that happened in, in Star Trek 09. Like, yeah. Okay, like a, a Romulan ship came from the past. What? What now? Okay, they have warp capability way earlier. What now? Yeah. Um. So, we get like the stare down. We get a moment where Carol briefly has meaning, purpose, where she's like, mm-hmm. "Dad, if I'm on board the ship, you know, you're not going to kill me, are you?" And he goes, "No, but I have a teleporter," and like teleports her. Oh, when she's like, which, running, which again, it's like again. So many times in this movie, they give someone a purpose and then immediately undercut it and take it away. Right. Yeah. Like a horror. <clears throat> yeah. Or like a horror or like all the things with with Kirk where they're like they take away uh, his his they like fire him from Starfleet and then make him first first officer. And then his captain, captain dies and he's captain again. Like just instant like instantly they're like, yeah, forget everything we just did for the past 20 minutes. Just. Yeah. None of it matters. <laughs> um, so that happens. Khan, Khan, okay, so Khan and they're about to all die. They're about to like just okay. So uh, the vengeance chases the Enterprise through warp. What do you think of that? Um, good. Yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, I I I like that as a well. Number one, it it felt very Star Wars. Um, again, yes. a lot of this movie feels way more Star Wars than Star Trek. Much more than the first one. I remember that complaint happening with the first one, but it's way more present in this one. Mm-hmm. Um and this is another example of that. But like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's cool. Like it's 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 uh playing around with like a a, a new technology that they have too early. Yeah. You know, in which is the whole the whole thing with the Kelvin universe. So it feels true to form for like what they're doing. It's, uh, but it's worth yeah. noting 
uh, from a recap perspective, back in his uh, when he was getting reamed out by uh, Pike, Kirk was like, "I've never lost anybody. I haven't lost any crew members. Zero crew members have been have been dead under my watch." And this is the f- like definitive like like people get murked. Like we see mm-hmm. people getting sucked out into space, screaming. Stuff mm-hmm. is on fire. The ship is like battered and broken and it's kind of i think this was supposed to be kirk's like dark knight of the soul right like oh crap my the actual consequences of my own actions yeah but it doesn't really play that way you know Mm -hmm. yeah it just is like standard blockbuster carnage right that's that's the problem is like you never get a sense of like the people he's in charge of in this one yeah they're just where they're where they're like you don't respect the chair and it's like but like, what does that really mean? You yeah. know, like in the context of this movie, like, yeah, we don't see him being like, we don't see, there's no shots of him like walking around the ship, being a captain, interacting with the crew. No, none. Show, like, oh, he doesn't respect them or, oh, they're just like, he's too innocent. You know, even something, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, really attractive crew. I couldn't help but noticing that this time. Yeah. Every time they would cut to an extra, you'd just be a really good looking actor (laughs) that's that's hollywood baby or an alien so all hope is lost when the uh vengeance's weapons go offline it's scotty he's been sabotaging it from the inside so con and kirk team up to save scotty and this was kind of my favorite part of the movie for some reason Hmm. just the chaos of like scotty con con scotty yeah I'm yeah, like, that's true. <laughs> like, this is a, they're like running around shooting. And he's like, I like this guy. He's fun. But it's a con. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but again, it made me think of, I thought this last week of like, he would never be this playful and crazy and chaotic with Star Wars. No. No, because he has too much respect for it. Well, <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, Rise of Skywalker does a lot of fucking crazy shit. That's um, true. That's true. Yeah. That, but it, but it's, it is, it, it again, um, was sort of derided as being like disrespectful to a lot of stuff. So, right. But it was kind of more seen as being disrespectful to Last Jedi. Right. Right. Then, then Star Wars as a whole. Yeah. It was kind of like, too, like, look, Chewie, your metal from the first movie. Look, everyone, it's Biggs from the first movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, anyway. So, not Biggs. Biggs is dead. That was Wedge. Uh, what, what Wedge? My bad. Wedge, Wedge Antilles, hero of the rebellion. Um, of course, <laughs> the most important character in the start in Star Wars saga. Yeah, <laughs> but not uh, Biggs. <laughs> not Biggs. Big, yeah, he's a skeleton. He's dust. B- Biggs um, is in another one of those tanks in the Palpatine room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, Kylo. <laughs> I made this guy. I don't even I know his it. name. I made this guy. I don't even know his name. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Uh, we get, uh, we get, you should have let me sleep. Oh, I, I, okay. So like going back to Carol. So I remember this being in the trailer of Alice Eve, like, you know, giving like a horror movie scream to seeing her dad's skull caved in. And I was like, like listening to you talk about Carol. I was like, man, is that, is that shot like 40% of why she's in the movie? I think so. I think so because I don't know what she brings to the table. Yeah. Um. In terms of like, 
being a part of the ensemble and and ultimately like they leave her on the cutting room floor in beyond and so in like the development of beyond and so it's just like yeah there was yeah. literally no point in her being here there's a part at the very end where uh you know showing that she's still on the enterprise mm-hmm. and kirk's like hey happy to have you on the family and carol's like happy to have a family yeah and i'm like oh because you because your dad's skull got caved in Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I and I know that the reason that they added her was because they were like, we need another female character in this ensemble. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not the 60s anymore. Let's bring another like major female character that can have the same respect as a horror. Right. Yeah. On the crew um, and in the fandoms where it's like, oh, yeah, Carol Marcus. We all know her and respect her. Absolutely. But then it's like immediately in the next movie, they're just like, oh, we'll just create a new female character that's way more interesting. <laughs> and they did. Yeah, they did. Boy, <laughs> did they. <laughs> Can't wait. We'll talk about it yeah. next week. So uh, the ship goes dead and starts falling, hurtling towards Earth. And we get the poster. Remember that first poster? Yeah. Um, striking imagery, to be sure. Um, yeah. And we get like Titanic disaster movie chaos of like the ship's tilting and people are falling and Kirk and, and um, Khan are Scotty are like running and trying to like get to get to the thing in time. Um, Kirk makes the decision or finds out that the only way to like get the warp core back online is to like kick it a bunch. Right. Um, Cause he's like trying to realign it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want I don't want people to get the idea that he's kicking it like a vending machine. Like he's <laughs> he's trying to realign like, you yeah. know, the thing. It's like out of whack and he has to kick it to like get it back into the spot where it's supposed to go. Yeah. He's more kicking yeah. it like if you're trying to like get something out of a corner and you got to like swing your whole body at it, you know? Yeah, right. Right. Um so they're able to we get what do you think of the the triumphant enterprise coming up from the clouds shot? Good. Good stuff. Yeah. Always like that. Especially I I love Abrams like big blockbuster imagery um, mm-hmm. mixed with uh, Giacchino score. I think Absolutely. they're they're re- a really good like companion. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're really good like working companions, creative companions. They fit each other really well almost. And this is almost like sacrilege to think about. But watching these past couple star trek movies i'm like man it would have been really cool to see what uh Giacchino abrams as a combo would have done to force awakens and rise of skywalker yeah i think about that sometimes too i i i just want i just want him to get another um shot at star wars um Giacchino, not abrams okay um because because like everyone is like ah his rogue one score is like not very good but it's also like he wrote it in like a month or something like that <laughs> yeah. like he had like 30 days to write that score so mm-hmm. So I would like to see him write a score for a Star Wars movie where he actually like had time. For sure. Um, not that it seems like he's going to be writing scores much more. Um, right? Anymore, yeah. yeah. He might direct a Star Wars movie. Yeah, that's entirely possible. So we get a moment that uh, you know really echoes Wrath of Khan. Where it's like, sir, you know, Captain, you better get down here. But it's Spock. Mm-hmm. He runs down. We get their moment, and yeah, beautifully well acted. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, Kirk's fear. And Spock, like the moment of like, oh, you know, like you're my friend, man. Like, uh, oh, Kirk has a line where he's like, "It's this is what you would have done." Yeah, 
And it's kind of the only meta line that works. He says, this is what you would have done. But then also like Spock says with the, with the, um, with the, the, whole, thing. the whole torpedo maneuver that he comes up with. He's like, that's yeah. what you would have. I, I just did what you would have done. Yeah. He's like, that was a good trick. And Spock's like, it's what you would have done. He's like, And this is what you would have done. And I'm like, yeah. ah, yeah, good. Yeah. In a better then, movie. <laughs> in a better movie. Yeah. And then uh, Kirk dies. Ahuris, and then uh, Ahura sees it. And they're like, they're really sad. And then um, Spock is like, gone. And. It's so it's such a weird move. It is, and it's so funny watching watching him like psych himself up to doing it. Okay. <laughs> like you can see it. You can see himself psyching himself up of like, okay, I have to do this. Here we go. I gotta get there. I gotta really sell this. Yeah. Um it is really, really funny in hindsight that mm-hmm. Kirk was dead for like Half an hour. Yeah. And Spock went buck wild. Yeah, he did. He fucking lost it. He just, he went full human. Full human. Yeah. He, pure passion. And, yeah. you know, we get a solid, I I like, I like that foot chase. Yeah. It's cool. Oh, okay. Okay. Going back to distasteful. Um, I don't, I don't want to get too like pearl clutchy, but I don't know, maybe because it was Star Trek and, you know, San Francisco, but the vengeance hurtling down and crashing into the city and causing havoc just like really like made me feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. Is this London or San Francisco? Oh, gosh. I just assumed it was San Francisco. I think you're right. I think it is London. Okay. Interesting. I just assume because it's Star Trek. That sucks. That sucks for London. Because it sucks for London. Yep. They they they've had a lot of problems in this movie. Oh London? man! And holy shit! London had a rough year in 2013 because they also were the third act of dark of the Dark World. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. London um, had a rough year. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go one further. I think this was the same year as GI Joe Retaliation, where London also gets fucked. Oh man. Um, but this is post, uh, fast six, right? Yes. No, okay. same summer. Fast six was 2013. Isn't that? Holy shit. That's also London, isn't Whoa! it? Oh, wow. What was going on that year? Oh my God. Must've been a tax break. <laughs> <Must've> <laughs> been a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, thanks for the tax break. We're going to fuck up your city. <laughs> <laughs> fuck it up real good. Yeah, every movie. Holy shit. Wow. Wow. Um so while this is going on, uh Bones had a tribble. The, the summer that hated England. <laughs> the summer that hated England, they called it. So while this is happening, earlier Bones decided to um inject some of Khan's super blood into a tribble. Great. We're gonna set that aside and not even deal with that. Um, <laughs> just to see what would happen. Just to see what would happen. <laughs> Is it an animal? Does it have a consciousness? Who knows? Um, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> who cares? So, and then at that moment, he's like, oh, holy shit. This this crazy blood might be what we need to save Kirk. So... Uh, is the, sorry. Is the, is, the, is the suggestion of the movie 
that because Bones injected a Tribble with Con blood, he causes, inadvertently causes the trouble with Tribbles? I love that. Like yes. that the Tribbles didn't do that by nature. That yes. was something that Bones did to them. <laughs> I like that a lot. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, and so Ahura beams down just as Spock is beating the shit out of Khan. And, you know, uh, we, we've seen that Spock has this aggression and passion inside of him. Mm-hmm. Like the first time we see him in, in Trek 09, he's like, you know, tackling a bully and beating him up. Right. Um, well, and it's because the, the the problem with Spock is that he keeps it all bottled up all the time. And so then yes. when he lets it out, it's, you know, it's insane. Like he just go, he just go, it's totally manic. Yeah. I yeah. personally think that every ship on Star on in Starfleet should have a therapist. <laughs> uh, what a concept. What a concept. <laughs> you know, almost like you know, we could call necessity. them counselors and they could have a seat on the bridge. Because <laughs> mental health is important. Yeah. <sighs> So, uh, okay, this is the part that, are, and maybe I'm being nitpicky, but uh, our is like, we need him. His blood is the only thing to save Kirk. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Call him Jim. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, did, I don't know why Kirk seemed weird to me, but it did. I, I think it, it is weird. Uh, and I, I, I definitely agree with you, but I also don't. It it doesn't appear that any of them are on first name basis. I, I agree. Guess, except for except for McCoy and Kirk. They're the yes. only two on first name basis. Yeah, he's the only one that calls him Jim. Right. And I think in that moment it was like it hit me that that was true. Like, oh yeah, they don't feel like a family. The and they're not supposed to because they've known each other like a quarter of uh, a quarter of the time that they did in Right. Even the by the time the first movie came out. But I don't know, it was like a sad moment of like, uh, yeah, they're not yeah. yeah, it it does feel weird though, definitely. So they save Kirk from, um, uh, maybe it's like Buffy. Maybe he was in heaven. I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, he was. He was. Uh, yeah, he was. He was making pancakes with William Shatner. Kirk. Right. We just didn't get to see any of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was out for like two weeks, and uh, Bones and Spock are there, and they're like, "Yeah, Spock chased Khan down and." Yeah, he's back on he's back on ice. I you know, I just really hate I don't I don't remember if you mentioned it. I know we talked about it earlier, but like Spock's uh, conversation, his his little call, his little FaceTime with Spock Prime. Oh, terrible. Um, where 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 Spock Prime is like, I don't well, want to tell you things about the future, except this one thing where I died. Um, very important. This is how we defeated him. Okay, yeah. And I'm like, but Please. you defeated him under very specific circumstances. Yeah. That that was the plot of Wrath of Khan, which we are not in at this point. We are we are not within the realm other than like what Kirk is off doing. Yeah. Nothing else about this situation is anything like Wrath of Khan. So like and, nothing. And I don't yeah, I I I don't I don't I don't know. I don't nothing like the, Yeah. Ugh. Nothing about that scene works. <laughs> no. It no. It a, why why is he calling in the first place? I don't know. And it's like, hey, I know. Hey, Spock would be like, oh, you made a vow not to tell me about the future? That's logical, so I'm not going to ask you about it. I hate, I hate it. But this Khan guy is so sketchy, I'm going to be like, hey, tell me about Khan. And then Khan's it, like, what? Yeah, you're right. He's like, oh, I, I vowed never to tell you about your future, but Khan is such a badass 
and it was our biggest enemy we ever fought. And then, like, yeah, it's so it's just the definition of like, but just then you know there was those quotes about hey we're not gonna just call out Khan for no reason like we're gonna do our own thing. Ugh, yeah. But you did. They just do nothing with the scene. Mm-hmm. It's just there as fan service and nothing else. It doesn't. It and, doesn't accomplish anything. And now that is the final scene with Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Ugh, the worst. Um, and and yeah, it would make way more sense for it to be Kirk. You know, to be to be Shatner telling Pine about about what happened. Yeah. Um, that makes more sense because Kirk wouldn't give a shit. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Don't tell Spock I told you that I'm telling you this. But yeah. Khan sucks. <laughs> Real asshole. Real asshole. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so yeah. uh it's a a year later, Kirk is giving a speech about um how even when you lose your values, you gotta get them back. And it, again, it's 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 stuff that Trek has done before. Even successfully. Yeah. Of like like you said, like, you know, Trek prevails. Trek is stronger than any, you know, philosophical problem that comes its way. Right. You know what I just I just thought of too with the um the name thing that we were talking about just yeah. a second ago. If your if your story arc for Kirk is that he doesn't respect the chair, why not make it why not why like why doesn't he just like force everyone to not call him captain or like every time somebody calls him captain he's like jim please just call me jim oh yeah that'd be good because it's because he doesn't respect the chair he's just like look i don't know anything more than any of you guys like you know whatever and 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 you could even have like pike be like look that's a valid way to lead to be like we're all equals but you still have to like respect the chair enough to be like making decisions for yeah. the, the the squad like that's how this works you they know need a leader yeah they need a leader and if this was a story about him doing what it takes to be a leader and then you get to the end and he like stops correcting people for calling him captain like i think yeah. that's more interesting i don't know i i i loved spock still calling him captain even after he'd been demoted yeah that's good that's fun and that uh good. Yeah, we talked about it earlier, but yeah, the kind of we're ending at the exact spot that we started that we that we were at in 09. It's like, right. all right, now we're going into deep space. What's different about that than what we were doing at the beginning of the movie? I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, even Kirk doing the 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 speech, I mean, the, you know, space, the final frontier, it just feels perfunctory. It doesn't feel triumphant. No, not at all. And, 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 uh, because it's also like, it all feels very rushed there at the end. Like the last five minutes of this movie just go by too fast. Like I, 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 I'm like barely reckoning with the fact that like Spock defeated Khan and also defeated Khan by just like punching him a bunch. Yeah. Like that's yeah. it. That's all he did. Like, they 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 punched a bunch and 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 Ahura like shocked him a bunch of times in a row and then and then he got like drop kicked by Spock and then got punched in the face and that was that. Um and, it, and then it's over. And it's like, "Well, what's the big fucking deal about that? Like that's not like triumphant or anything." And then <laughs> and then he's like they just like refreeze him and put him back in in the in the vault with the rest of his guys and like 
I guess they're like, well, obviously he's going to come back. He's Khan. And it's like, I don't want another movie with this guy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, man. Which is like zero percentage of that happening now. Right. Whereas, like, imagine a world where this is the Picard version of this and the result of them defeating um, Admiral uh, Marcus is that Picard literally disappears from existence. Yeah. And, and like, you're like, oh, oh no. shit, it worked. No, this is a good thing. Yeah. No, it worked. It means it worked, you know? And then, and then you know, you do the ending and then you, you like, flash forward and it's like it's like you know 70 years later or whatever it says and then you see like the uh, kelvin uh, version of of, yeah uh, of benedict cumberbatch kelvin version of like going to like starfleet academy or like graduating from starfleet academy and like getting his first like you know mission or whatever yeah hell yeah and he's bald now oh man right like come on yeah gosh yeah anyway because then it's just like, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, Star, Star Trek will go on. Like, mm-hmm. they, they save the future. <sighs> Star anyway. Trek save the future. Sure. I think that was literally the name of the. No, Fight the Future is the Fight X the Files future. movie. Yeah. Yeah. X Files <laughs> Fight the Future. Uh, uh, they make one more of those. We can do that franchise. I don't think they ever will. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Although, although, although. If anybody ever came, if anyone at Fox was like, hey, do you want to do anything? I would not be above pitching a reboot of X-Files as a movie franchise. Yeah. Just like this. To- like like the Kelvin universe. Oh, hell yeah. Just like, no, Mulder, Scully, just a one-off cool adventure. Yeah. We're going to recast it, and we're going to tell like a really cool X-Files adventure with those two. Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Now, That'd be, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, do it. So, Probably make Jillian Anderson and David Duchovny real mad on, but I mean they have to be. At what point are you are you good? At what point are you are you okay with not doing X Files anymore? You know, I know. Yeah, I don't know. So but, so it goes. Star Trek Into Darkness will return to this when we rank them in our between episode, but um, not great. No, not great. Not great. But full of like great moments. Yes. Full of like really well done uh scenes taken in a vacuum. You know what? I think my last thoughts like as as the movie was ending and it was all of them like on the bridge again, I was like, "Man, I could really really go with uh, one more of these." Uh yeah. I really want another one, like really really bad. Yeah. Um and I don't know if we're ever going to get it. Cuz like this cast has aged so well, remarkably. You know? Yes. Yeah. Everybody kind of still looks the same for the most part. Like, you know, Simon Pegg notwithstanding. Well, like, and I was going to say, we've even, we could even reach that point where, like, I mean, I loved when the OG movies started dealing with, like, oh, we're not young anymore. Yeah. Like, you got, you got, you got, uh, Pine Kirk. He could have a little ice in his hair, you know? Yeah. Like, starting yeah. to gray. Like, oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. But, like, now, how, do, how does this crew deal with that? That problem. Right. Right. Yeah. So that was tw- that was the last movie was 2016. So we're now we're two years removed from their five year mission. At the, well, and that was already they were already in their five year mission at that point. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that's another thing. It's really funny that this movie ends with like we we're doing it deep space our our five year mission. Let's go and Beyond starts with fuck this. 
I I can't wait to talk about it. I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. wait to talk about it. With Cass. Yeah, with Cass, uh, who has never seen it before. Um, but they'll be on they'll be on next week and uh I'm I'm really excited because this movie ruined Star Trek for them and so they just they just didn't watch Star Trek Beyond and so they're going to be watching it for the first time Great. based on our recommendation of like no Star Trek Beyond fucks it's it's good it's a good one <laughs> well it should be a, a great conversation can't wait to end it on a high note hopefully yes yes um but yeah so that's next week uh thanks everyone for listening um if you're not subscribed to the Patreon uh, please do so. Duelinggenre.com slash support. Uh, go check it out because we did not one, not two, but we will have done three uh, franchise potentials over the course of the Star Trek miniseries. Um, timing with Undiscovered Country. We talked about Galaxy Quest. Timing with Star Trek Nemesis. We talked about Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. And uh, and coming, you know, timing uh, with our between episode in two weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about Lost in Space, the, the 1998 um, feature film adaptation of the 60s sci-fi TV series. 50s? Starring. 50s or 60s? I think 60s. I think 60s. It's in black and white when it starts. So that's what always throws me off. But yeah, I think I think it was like early 60s. Starring um, Matt LeBlanc. Yeah. And John Hurt. And Mimi Rogers and Lacey Chabert and Matt LeBlanc and Gary Oldman. I'm very impressed that I just I just I spit out the whole cast of Lost in Space without having to look that up. That was really I'm very proud of myself. Yeah. Good for you, man. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, really some really good uh, franchise potentials over the course of the season. So go catch up. Join our Patreon um, for as little as three dollars a month. Duelinggenre.com slash support. Uh, We appreciate everyone who does that. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week with, uh, Star Trek Beyond. Bye everybody. Bye.